rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. All right, well, you asked for it, and now you're going to get it. Probably one of the most requested episodes of Rebel Force Radio. Finally here, yes. Solo, a Star Wars story. The commentary. Now, we waited until we were able to get our hands on a good copy of the film so we could kick back, relax, and watch it with you all. And this joins a collection of film commentaries that you go back to our archives at uh, rebelforceradio.com and comb through and enjoy. They're great to listen to, of course, while you're watching the film, but they're also, uh, we're told by many listeners, a good time to listen to when you're not even watching the movie, because it uh, serves as sort of a... uh, Oh, just sort of a, maybe another review, another look at uh, uh, some of the uh, the Star Wars films, maybe in a different way than what you've experienced them. And let's face it, it's a way to relax and watch the films with us here at Rebel Force Radio. And, of course, that means myself, Jason, and my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yeah, I love when we get together to actually sit down and watch a Star Wars film together. And the best Star Wars films to watch together are the latest ones to be available to us. And the latest one, of course, is Solo. They offer no commentary track on the home video release. The HD digital release and the upcoming Blu-ray release will not include a commentary track. So you can listen to us chuckleheads yap in your ear while you watch the film if you're looking for that kind of option and uh i'll tell you what we're going to have a lot more fun than the filmmakers would if they actually provided a commentary track because we got nothing to lose here and uh thankfully we're not doing it alone jason no we are not we brought uh my brother in the force and your brother in the flesh ladies and gentlemen billy d mack joining (laughs) us Chucklehead number three. <laughs> Sitting in. My first film commentary, too. Is that Which right? Is yeah. I mean, I do them at home, but there's, you know, there's no nothing recording it. <laughs> I do. And, you know, I have noticed uh, watching movies with you of any kind, you are the type of guy who will occasionally grab the remote and hit pause. I keep the pause handy. So you can explain to us exactly what the filmmaker yeah. was setting up or what we should be looking for in the shot. That's right. Well, you, you, you got to have the pause handy because you don't want to disrupt the film. Well, we're not going to be having <laughs> any of that going on here because we're going to watch Solo straight through. We have right. the, no pause. Uh, we have the digital HD copies at our disposal. And so uh, we hope that you guys listening, uh, wherever you're at... You uh, are going to do the same with us. But like Jason said, if not, 
I, I think you'll be able to follow along with our commentary uh, just fine because we've all seen the movie now several times, not 500 times, but I'm getting there. I, I'm going to get there because uh, this is a movie that's been growing on me more and more lately. Somehow I feel like when we sat down for Solo in May, I was still feeling really full from my big holiday meal of The Last Jedi. And I wasn't really ready for another meal at that point. It was like if somebody calls you into the dinner table like an hour after you just had a great meal and they said, hey, come on in and let's eat again. And on the table are all your favorite foods. So you can't resist. You have to sit down and take a few bites at least. And that's kind of like what I feel like I did when Solo was released in May. I wasn't ready for it. But now, after I've had the summer, the home video release is here. And I'm looking at this movie with a new take, a a different freshness, a different approach. And uh, the more I'm seeing it, the more I'm liking it. In its first weekend of home video release, I've watched it a couple of times, including all of the special features, and I devoured the audiobook novelization. So, uh, and there's some interesting things in that too, which I might bring up as we're sitting here watching Solo well, a Star Wars I, story. I think it's important in, in, in a lot of ways to put this film and its theatrical release into context. So before we started, I, I think that um, we need to go back, and, and Jim, you mentioned The Last Jedi, of course, coming out in uh, December of uh, 2017, and there, there's no question about it that it, I wouldn't say that it was controversial uh, immediately. I think that the aftershocks uh, and the repercussions took time, and you bring up a really good point that... We were still digesting The Last Jedi, what it meant. You know, there's always that initial afterglow of a new Star Wars film and the fun of of, of uh, talking about it and debating it. And, you know, through that period of uh, discovery and conversation, there definitely arose two different camps. There's the camp that, that uh, really dislike The Last Jedi and there's the camp that that loves the last jedi and thinks that it was uh handled very very well but in the midst of all this as all this is is building we're being told relentlessly from uh, all kinds of leaks that this solo movie is going to be a disaster the lead actor can't act he's got to have a a coach they fire the directors they bring in another guy and, uh, you know, and lo- expectations are being lowered at Disney. And they, I, it just felt like every time you try to get excited about this movie, uh, legitimately, there was some rumor or some news that was breaking to tell you why you shouldn't. And mm-hmm. I think the not just the, the, the we're not just talking about the Star Wars fan community, but I think the movie going community uh, greeted the film with. Um, you know, pretty lukewarm reaction. There was a looked like the first couple of days were uh, pretty good, uh, but then it really fizzled out. And you know, it it really did, I think, have to do with a, a certain uh, erosion of trust after the Last Jedi, plus the fact that the predominant narrative about this film in its lead up was that it was going to be a disaster, and 
it, it was hard to you know uh divest yourself of all of that baggage when you when you got there to the theater in may you had the baggage from the ongoing debate and the divisive nature of the last jedi and the fact that every story and every rumor we heard was that this was going to be just an absolute nightmare of a film have you been telling people jason in in your day-to-day life to check out this movie like give it a I chance, have, I because I know I have, a lot yes, of people. Absolutely. I'm surprised. I mean, I I've run into a lot of people that are just like, eh, I, I didn't, you know, the, the, the trailer didn't do it for me or whatever. I I think there there has been that, uh, you know, that uh, vibe that was given off by it somehow with the with the yeah. press and stuff. And I was telling some guy today, I'm like, I, I must have listed about five things I thought was really cool about the movie, and it just the conversation ended with him being like, yeah, I don't, and he, he's a big Star Wars fan. Yeah, and I'm just and I just told him, dude, give it a chance. Watch it; it's right. a cool flick, man. I watched it last night. You know, just give it a chance. I give it a shot. It's it kind of reminds surprising. me a lot about you know the way we would talk to fellow Star Wars fans about the Clone Wars. In a way, it's like, well, give it a shot. Eh, it's a cartoon. I don't want to do a cartoon. I know it's a cartoon, but give it a try. You know, watch a couple episodes. Here, here are a couple of really good ones to start with. You know, it reminds me a little bit of that. Well, you know what? Let's uh, talk about that while we watch yeah. the movie a yeah. little bit, uh, and uh, we'll see where we emerge on the other side. I, I think we're all going to have a very favorable review of this film as we've. This is going to be my sixth time to see it, so uh, I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there slowly but surely. But uh, really looking forward to uh, getting into it with you guys. And the way I'm going to watch it is here on my uh, digital HD copy. I uh, have uh, this queued up via Amazon Prime for -hmm. those keeping score at home. I will be turning on the English subtitles so uh, we can follow along with all the dialogue as the film unfolds. Unlike your original trilogy or even the prequel trilogy, I don't know these movies like the back of my hand. I can't, you know, just sightsee scenes and know what these guys are saying. Uh, But that comes with 500 viewings. So uh, I have 494 to go, I believe. Um, Am I keeping that score right? I think that, yes. Okay. Yeah, this is all right. Well, let's do it. So I've got the uh, digital copy queued up as well with subtitles ready to go. Okay, and I uh, I just hit play and then I backed the counter up to zero. So yes, I got zero, zero, zero. Got it. And when uh, you guys are ready, so if you're you're listening to this at home, so queue up whether it be the. Um, I guess if it's the DVD, if it's the DVD, I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you because it's, it's going to render a little bit differently from the time you hit play, from the time we hit play. But you know what? It should be close enough. Whatever version close you enough. have, work your way through the menu and get to where the screen is all black. And when you hit play, the next thing you see is that Lucasfilm logo, and the yeah, film right. itself is properly started. Different formats have different things that sometimes even jump in in between the menu and the film itself. So make sure you you hurdle all of that stuff, whatever it may be, and just get to the movie proper where you see, as Jason said, the counter reads zeros. All right, here we go. And uh, we're going to do three, two, one, play. Okay? All right. So 
We're going to do it after the one. So not three, two, say, play. We'll instead of saying three, play, two, one. Say, say punch it. Because this yeah, is solo. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, of yeah. course. Well, of course. Yeah. Right, right. All right. Three, two, one, punch it. All right? Okay. Ready? Okay. In three, two, one, punch it. All right. Counter is counting. Let's have uh, Billy D. Puppet Lando oh, read hey, the subtitles. Doing, hey. Hey. Hey, welcome. Well, thank you. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is a lawless time. Crime syndicates compete for resources, food, medicine, and hyperfuel. <laughs> On the shipbuilding planet of Corellia, the foul Lady Proxima forces runaways into a life of crime in exchange for shelter and protection. On these mean streets... A young man fights for survival, but yearns to fly among the stars. All right. <laughs> I like how it starts off with the the spark. Someone yeah. was uh, someone was dissecting the film. I, I can't remember who it was, and they pointed out that spark. Too. Oh, it was John Marku. It was our friend John Marku when he was doing his mythological breakdown. Uh, the, oh, the, yeah. the mythological blueprint of Han Solo, as seen in Solo, a Star Wars story. And he pointed out with the film starting off with a spark. The spark itself is symbolic of the... Uh, I'll go back and listen to our show when we talk about <laughs> Well, he know, puts I, it know, much better than I do. You he know? does. Yeah, yeah. It's, it all starts yeah, with a spark. I and I, Two things I, I loved, and I actually didn't notice it the first time I saw it, was... Uh, when they when they pan up and you see one of the star destroyers being built, of course these are the shipyards of Corellia. Also, the solo logo that comes onto the screen with that kind of uh, a pattern that seems like the, the you know the panels of the Millennium Falcon, which I I like as well. Oh yeah, I see that in the aesthetic. I love those hounds that they have. That uh, oh yeah, right. Moloch's gang uses. Well, and this is, you know, so right out of uh, Dickens' uh, Oliver Twist here with the the scrum rats, as they're called. Yeah, and here's where, we, where everything turns blue, too. We, the, it gets very blue. We were ta- You guys yeah. were talking about the lighting of this movie. Right. But this, I mean, this is, you know, with some of the other lights in the background and stuff, it is, it is a pretty cool atmosphere. It's different. It's, it's very different. shadowy for a Star Wars film. But and the, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I think we, we're going to be moving into a direction where we're going to be seeing Star Wars films that are aesthetically vastly different than what was established by George Lucas and mm-hmm. his films. And uh, I think this is a step into that direction. Uh, I still love the old look, though, of, you know, the classic George Lucas, yeah. the way it was all shot and the way the... Sets were lit, and uh, it seemed to favor clarity and color and detail. And a lot of that gets lost in this story. But, I mean, this is a story that's based. It's set in the dark times of the Empire. I mean, this is like almost monochromatic. Monochromatic. It's like what they they used to do with the old silent movies where they would tint them just one color, you know, blue or gold or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of this, too, is, is to get, I think, an understanding of the fact that these creatures, they can't have any kind of light. I mean, the light is damaging to them. That's true. And so, 
you've got to have this uh, sort of midnight blue wash over everything. And and I'll tell you, I love the boldness of these of these aliens. This is something that um, where you know you you kind of lose the color, Jim, as we've talked about in this in the modern uh, Star Wars films. Um, you don't see those bright bold colors like George had, you know, Greedo green and uh, Max Rebo blue. But there's certainly, you know, these are very, very crazy looking, yeah. well, very compa- Star Wars looking aliens. Yeah, well, I mean, compare this scene too, just the look of it to like something like the trash compactor, which would not be that different of an atmosphere, but it, it looks totally different in the way it's colored and lit. Mm. Now this uh, this creature here, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, it, it reminds me, I did some movies with... Uh, Diana Ross. <laughs> hey, Liz, you know, I'll tell you, she was a lovely lady, but boy, if she didn't get what she wanted. <laughs> hey, I do have one little problem with Lady Proxima, and this is coming, you know, this is, uh, reminds me of, of being a kid, being a six-year-old and going into the theater and seeing Jabba the Hutt and the exotic nature of Jabba where, you know, they had the subtitles. And he was speaking Huttese. It bothers me a little bit that Lady Proxima sort of speaks kind of a colloquial, basic language. Um, you know, she just sounds like uh, Miss Hannigan from Annie or something. Uh, or, <laughs> well, again, in a lot of ways, Diller yeah. or something. Well, for her to remind you of a character from Annie, maybe that is <laughs> being done purposefully with all of these orphans here. I like Moloch. Yeah. Or the. It was it was yeah. recently revealed by John Kasim that Moloch, uh, the name was taken from Allen Ginsberg's '60s poem Howl. Howl, yeah. And uh, I, I did catch that. Now I, I remember a, a character named Moloch also featured in the Watchmen. Watchmen, yeah. Moloch the magician, and uh, I, I I never knew if that character, if that name was based on uh, the uh, Moloch mentioned in Howl, but uh, hmm. yeah. I, 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 I thought that was great. I, you know what? I got to be honest with you. I, I wish I had brought that up on the show earlier because uh, I had been meaning to bring that up. And I even got myself an audio recording of Ginsburg reading Howl. And I was going to pull the Moloch lines off and play it on uh, Rebel Force Radio. And I thought I was on to something really cool. And then I forgot about it. And I saw it with John Kazin recently. He posted up a bunch of interesting trivia about Solo. He said, in lieu of a commentary track. And he mentioned that. He confirmed that Moloch, the name, came from Howl. And I was so mad at myself for not bringing it up before. I was like, oh, I was on to something with that. And then I just forgot about it. Something, you know, that the novelization brings out, you know, is that Kira, uh, you know, does start out sort of starry-eyed and, and innocent. And then she's a very much a changed woman after her, you know, being recaptured by Lady Proxima's gang. And then, of course, falling into uh, uh, Crimson Dawn. Mm. Uh, so when she didn't this, fall into Crimson Dawn, according to the novelization. Well, not falling into Crimson Dawn. She was sold. Yes. She was sold into uh, servitude. So when you see these kind of loving looks that she's giving Han here at the beginning, these are legit. These are not to be confused oh, yeah. with, you know, the more, uh, you know, perhaps uh, here's Matt Wood's cameo, one of them. Uh, <laughs> Death Star, Death Star Droid, Droid, yeah. Yeah. 
which I love. Um, but uh, so, you know, later, you know, it's more manipulative uh, and opportunistic. But here she's, you know, she really does think this is the beginning of her freedom uh, with Han Solo. And I got to tell you guys, I, I, I really can't say and I think Alden Ehrenreich does just a fabulous job in this movie. Uh, considering what he was up against and considering all the, 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 like I said, the leaks and the rumors and everything, uh, I think he just does a fantastic job. As a young Han Solo, I think he just nails it. And his performance is really starting to grow on me with repeated viewings of this film. He's becoming the character more and more. It's so hard to watch someone else play the character of Han Solo after we've had 40 years of investment into that character and fan equity and character equity and all of that stuff. Uh, It's hard. It's huge boots to fill. But the more I watch it, the more I start to see the consistency in his performance and the way Ford portrayed the character. And he picks up a lot where Harrison left off. So you have a deeper exploration into the character based on the same sort of attitudes and arrogance. Yes, arrogance. But there is a, a fragility to this character, too, especially now that we've seen where he's come from. And all the things he was up against and losing his young love, you know, the love of his life at a very young age. And and this is a love that, you know, two people brought together in dire situations where they need each other. So, you know, for Han, that's all he ever had. For Kira, she had to go through, you know, harsh situation after harsh situation after she gets separated from Han. So... Her horrible life of slavery and oppression continues, whereas Han is running free but still clinging on to the past. She's given up on the past because there is no past for her to hold on to. Right. You know, it's just it's just the the dominoes keep falling in one bad direction for Kira her whole life. Han never Han never really does get free because at least in, in this film till the very end, because he's constantly thinking back of you know thinking back on kira wanting to get kira so freedom means nothing without her for him and uh, so neither one of them really experienced freedom until the end and you might you might even say that she doesn't because she just trades one master for another um you know there at the end but uh now th- this line she has coming up um you know we could get sold to crimson dawn or the hut cartel uh, boy, there's some foreshadowing. Uh, of course, we don't know that until the movie comes out. But so she definitely knows that that is a a possibility. There's the dice again. Uh, you know, best supporting actor of the last two Star Wars films. Um, a prop that nobody paid attention to in 1977. I mean, only the most hardcore people noticed that there were those dice hanging in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon in A New Hope. And I didn't really even consider it until probably around the mid-90s when we got better editions of Star Wars via the THX release where you had the widescreen editions and you noticed Chewie was hitting something on his head. And then you finally realize, oh, those are dice up there. I get it. Never showed up in Empire, never showed up in Return of the Jedi, and really forgotten about 
until uh, yeah. now. I mean, it's amazing. Well, all well, the things they could have latched onto, all the cool things in Star Wars. Well, it was sort of a last-minute thing that they did with uh, The Force Awakens. They were, you know, of course, wanting to perfect the Falcon. And uh, the, somebody remembered about the dice. They got the dice. In fact, the uh, original dice maker um, was brought back to recast them. And they were actually traditional dice with the one through six dots. And then uh, when they remade them for The Last Jedi and the solo film, uh, they were sort of the Orabeshian symbols as opposed to the, the dice that you, know, you and I would have. But I actually have right here in my hand, <laughs> can you hear them clanking together? These were the, the limited edition dice that came out were offered right after or right as The Force Awakens was in pre-production. Uh, gold cast dice uh, made out of the same molds from the same guy who sculpted them and made them for the uh, A New Hope back in 1977. And I got a pair. I know that um, the emails went through and um, Steve Sansweet got a set. And uh, Ready Player One author Ernie Klein uh, also got a set, and I think they actually sit in his uh, DeLorean. Yeah. There's so many, so many things I like about this sequence. I, I guess they, they I, I, did I read they, they designed this to look like Ellis Island, but it, it really, this reminds me of uh, like in war movies and like The Great Escape where Bronson's trying to get out and he grabs a, a fez off of one of the Russian workers and a coat mm. and... You know, and this they 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 very nicely set up this whole like prisoner culture. You know, with the bribe, and you know that these guards can be corrupted, and it's just all it's all very nicely done. And the emotion of the separation is very nicely, you know, it rings true. I think well, I, this guy right here, this uh, guard that uh, Han is talking to, uh, or this recruiter or what have you. Um, he, I mean, he looks like he just stepped off the set of episode. Uh, four yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah totally i mean the look of the actor and well and that's the thing that never gets old for me it's like seeing it's like okay it's a different environment it's a different set but here you know you got those like death star commander guys standing at those podiums and we have no idea yeah. what they're doing there but they <laughs> right. you know they're they just so cool. classic looking it just brings it all into that world you know with just those little touches I rather like I rather like the uh, origin of the name here. I thought this was actually pretty darn clever. I have yeah. to say. So, That's will true. we ever find out? Yeah, it's still it's still what his real name is. I, I love this look. I love totally. this look right here. Total Harrison Ford. Yeah, like, totally. Yes. Like the, the, the you know you expect to see the big boulder coming behind him. You know with that face. <laughs> I like this <laughs> guy. He's gonna lead him to victory. Watch. Oh this, yeah. You know, where are we going? Yeah. Victory, yeah, bye. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you know, whether it's this or it's Rogue One, uh, it, it really is a, it really is a kick to see this kind of intensity. And in, uh, looks, this looks like this could be right out of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And it's uh, you know, and it's a Star Wars movie. <laughs> the guy I mean, yelling, you know, "My leg, my leg!" And what's like an episode of SpongeBob? Intense. My leg. <laughs> and it's That's interesting so because intense. it's it's fairly claustrophobic. I mean, this is yeah. You know, trench warfare. I guess, I guess their uh, Paths of Glory was an influence here. That was a World War II Stanley mm, Kubrick movie. Mm-hmm. So that was all tr- you know in trenches, and you don't even know what's going on. I mean, you couldn't tell who's winning. You get a glimpse of a ship here and there. You might see a walker go by. You hear some of those classic sound effects, but you don't, you don't know what the hell's going on here, right? And the, and the fact that this 
you know, little gang has infiltrated this, you know, this this battalion. Uh, did they ever say like what job they were? Uh... Yeah, they were there to steal those AT haulers. Remember, okay. he that was a key component of their, you know, their big train heist. They need those AT haulers. So that's what they're. Oh, they're that's doing. right. Yes, yes they, they could yes. have just found some like hangar somewhere, you know, and just gone in there. So, but they uh, they they decided to sneak into a war, and uh, it is is probably the most intense Star Wars ground war we've ever seen. Uh, oh, for sure. You know, it just because the reality of it, the real yeah. world reality of it, mixed in with Star Wars aesthetics is. Uh, it that's a different take. That's yeah. This is right out take. of Pat's of glory right here. This shot where well, he's walking, walking through, through trenches. Yeah, yeah. drinking. Well, <laughs> everything's just caked in mud. Uh, Woody Harrelson was a really great choice for this role. Woody Woody does, he plays these kind of guys you love to hate type characters so well. Uh, he's got such charisma, and at the same time, he can be, be such a bastard. Um, I could see myself cosplaying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what is Val? No, some Beckett cosplaying, you son some of a Beckett cosplay. That, you know. uh, we we didn't see you know, we didn't get a chance to mention it a little earlier, but you know, when he's gunslinging, you know, Han looks up uh and he's up on that uh on that hilltop oh, this- taking everybody out with those double Oh right, he's just, yeah, total. The, yeah, the gunslinging. Uh, yeah. Did you understand that with the Rio pulling up his pants? Were you confused the first time I saw you saw that? I had no idea what was going on with that. I didn't notice it, and, and until the second viewing, yeah, because I remembered the line when he said, "Your hands fell out, or your back, hit, one of your, your arms fell out, up, or something." Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's confusing the first time you see it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- th- what's confusing to me is you know. The, this uh the way han you know is able to get himself uh into the good graces or whatever you want to call it with uh with their with their gang because i mean they really really resist him and um it's a little unclear when you're watching it just why they they bring him on is it that they're just so impressed by his chutzpah or or what but they're doing everything they can to get rid of him here Where, you know, I was thinking about this when I was watching it the first time I fired up the the home video release. And I was just sitting there wondering, it, what is it in Beckett's head that clicks later in the movie uh, when Han and Chewie are desperately waving for them to land and pick them up? What clicks yes. in his head? What and, is it? And, well, that gets expanded upon a little bit uh, in the uh, deleted scenes. You'll see that Beckett has a gang that includes one other guy named Corso. And Corso is the muscle for their gang. And in that ground war that we saw prior to this scene, uh, in that big battle, Corso gets taken out. And so Beckett has lost his muscle. And when he sees Han down there and Rio reacts and goes, is that a Wookiee? <laughs> I think yeah. Beckett realizes right there that he's he needs these guys because he's uh, lost Corso. And so Corso was edited out of the final So maybe film. do you think he's maybe more interested in Chewie? 
than maybe, Han, or maybe, just, or both of them. Well, he maybe. does. He does. But I think it's a combination. I do also think that Han does a lot of things to impress him. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I think in these scenes, and I and doesn't he tell he tells him to to get out of there too? I think he recognizes the individuality here. Yeah. In him. Right. And he, and does. he does. He does tell him. Well, here's my advice to you. Why don't you you know get the hell out of here, get as far away as you can, or something like that. So he's he's connecting with him. Well, I remember the first time I saw this, the last thing I was expecting to see in this scene was Chewie. Uh, That's how unspoiled I was. I had no idea that this was going to be the introduction of Chewie. I thought it was going to be, you know, a takeoff of, you know, Luke in uh, Return of the Jedi. I didn't think it was going to be maybe a rancor, but I thought that it was going to be, you know, something akin to that. I did not think this would be the introduction of... I, I I think I thought Rancor. I thought, oh, they're going to go back, you know, and bring us the Rancor. I was grinning ear to ear, to ear the sequence. I just This is one of those scenes where I just, like, was uh, telling myself, wow, you were watching Chewie and Han in something you could only have imagined as a kid, you know. Yeah. And you're seeing Chewie go nuts here, which is just, <laughs> it's just awesome to see this stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is Chewy unhinged. And it's so clear. I mean, they just they just so capture him. It's just Yeah, they really do. This Jonas guy, I mean, he's just unbelievable. He really yeah. is. He really is. Apparently, this is one of the first things they started shooting, and I believe a lot of this footage is Lord and Miller stuff. Um it was it was just, you know, a very complicated and difficult shoot. Oh, I'm sure. And uh, the humor, the the idea of Han speaking the Wookiee language, that all comes from Lord and Miller. So something, and it, this is extremely extended on the deleted scenes. So ah, check out there the was del- more. To oh, this. much yeah, okay. more. I much seen, more. I haven't seen those yet. And uh, the the whole idea of him insulting Chewie and calling him a move milker. <laughs> that in the, in the, in this final version, this ha- that happens after this, but in the uh, original cut, it happened before. It's just you know an indication yeah. of how this whole thing was really re reshaped as a film. Yeah, this, yeah well, this was uh, this was intended to be a comedy. Let's not forget. And this hearing him do the Wookiee voice almost reminds me of that. Uh, there's a skit on that Muppet show with, with Mark Hamill where he's... Mark Gargling Hamill. Gershwin? Yeah. Yes, Gargling <laughs> Gershwin. Yes, that's it. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, it would... I mean, it would make sense. I know some people criticize it. I thought it was pretty fun that, to think that, uh, you know, Han could at least do some of the vocalizations, thought, yeah. you know? I did, too. I thought uh, it was but, fun. gosh, imagine being Jonas... In that suit and then covered in mud on top of it. That would not have been fun. <laughs> Imagine the, how, the weight time, yeah, of that suit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they, they got the chemistry right out of the gate. They really did, I think. Chewie throwing him up there. Now there they see them. <laughs> dragging him in the... <laughs> I mean, this is uh, like Three Stooges kind of stuff. I mean, so much, you know what? So much is happening at this point in the movie. That little bit of brilliance almost gets by you. (laughs) You know, you're Uh just like catching your breath after them finally escaping out of that mud pit. And, 
you know, they, they see their escape and then he starts dragging them and it's all like everything's happening so fast. The more the movie grows on me, the more a scene like that has an impact on me. Yeah. So here we finally totally. get introduced to the real Rio. Yeah. Not not sure how that costume worked, but we'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of- a trick, man. His head his hand was his head. He did kind of like molt out of that thing, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Now, it, now uh, there was another version of the script, according to some of these notes that John Kasdan released, where uh, the gang take off and they ditch Han and Chewie. They take off without him. And so Han and oh. Chewie steal a garbage vessel. And as they're taking off from Mimban and escaping, they dump a bunch of garbage all over stormtroopers. Oh, interesting. Okay. But here we we have this moment here where he realizes, you know what? If we're going to pull off this train heist, I'm going to need more than just Val because I have Rio flying the ship. Clearly, he needs these guys. Yeah. He clearly needs these guys. So off they go. And yeah, find yourself uh, asking the big question here. Uh, Probably the biggest question I've had since I've seen this movie, is why is there a shower on the AT hauler? I mean, what's the purpose of that? I mean, this is the only Imperial ship I've known to have a shower on it, you know? (laughs) Creature comforts, I don't think, are part of the Imperial routine. Uh, Don't drop the soap. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, why why a shower on this particular ship? I mean, it just makes sense. Maybe it's one of those... uh, those well, silkwood showers that. where you have to, you know, wash oh, the contamination. Yeah, 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 maybe it's a case. I love that scene because uh, it, it, you know, it's like what what a, what your dog would do. You know, <laughs> if your dog could jump in the shower <laughs> yes, with yes. you, you know, <laughs> uh, they would. Uh, and I loved. I just love this shot of them. They're fresh out of the Ooh. shower. His his hair's all fluffed up, and he's clean. They're both clean. Yeah, and they're just uh, enjoying the view out there yeah. on the uh, on the lanai. Uh, <laughs> you just want to give Chewie a big hug here. So soft and fluffy. They, I think they really uh, they they got the the Chewie look down so well. Uh, I know that you know Chewie's evolved from film to film, uh, but I like this one. You can kind of see those uh, some of the dark coloration too in the suit that doesn't always show up. It's got a nice undercoat there. Yeah, I mean. It's, it's- it's classic Chewy. Yeah, it feel yeah. and it feels like classic Chewy. And the way yes, he carries himself with the head movements and now, Jim, you had a little issue if I remember right with Force Awakens Chewy, right? Was it Force Awakens Chewy that you weren't uh, sold on? Well, there were just certain sequences where I felt that there was a huge departure from what you would see Peter Mayhew Chewy do, and then you would see mm. Jonas do, especially the physical stuff. Yeah. There's this one shot of Chewie coming down a ladder in The Force Awakens. And uh, also a lot of close-ups of his big black hands. Oh, yeah. You didn't like that. I, remember. I still don't. I don't. There's something about me. I just don't want to see Chewie's hands. I don't, Why? It's, the, it's not Chewie. You know he has hands. It's not just Chewie. It's any Wookiee's hands. I don't want to. There's just. They're like, ew, there should be there they should be furry or something. You, you got you got Wookiee uh, handophobia or something. A, a little bit. A little bit. I don't know where that comes I, from. I, just, I, 
But think about it. We never saw Chewie's hands. Well, so what? There's a lot of stuff we're seeing that we've well, never seen. Well, once we start seeing Chewie. Chewie's hands, what else are we going to start seeing? <laughs> well, and you know he's got he's got feet, right? I mean, you can see his toes. Do you have a problem with his toes? I, 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 I actually don't. I have no problem with Chewie's toes. Well, because you don't see his big black toes, but you see those those big black mitts, and you don't see them in this movie. But Jim's right; they did. And then in that, uh, what was the animated series that they did? Forces uh, of Destiny. Uh, Forces of Destiny. Yeah, he had these creepy big black hands. Yeah, I um, kind of yeah. unnerves me for some reason. <laughs> so he wants to go back to this planet. Her Glee, name is Val. Glee Anselin. He wants to learn how to play the Val Accord. And he wants to play the Val Accord for Val on Glee Anselm, which is uh, Kit Fisto's planet. Oh. And they, they named the planet Glee because Kit likes to sing in high school musicals. <laughs> oh, but you know what? I did not know Part that. of me believes it, but... They yeah. did name the planet Glee because Kit Fisto smiles in that uh. one moment in oh, Attack yeah. of the Clones. So, of course, we see this guy smile. So everyone from his planet has a great sense of humor and is always grinning and smiling <laughs> and just grooving through their day, you know. And the planet's name is Glee. Right. Well, it's like the Jamaica of the Star Wars universe. Is that, is that true or is that something you just kind of put that together? That is uh, true. You've heard that. That wow. is true. That is true, that they named the planet Glee because Kit Fisto smiles. Well, that was his big moment. Uh, look in, look uh, at her rubbing her fingers through uh, Woody's toupee there. Yeah. It's, it's kind of flopping nice, around. Nice that is a weird toupee he has. <laughs> yeah. uh, he always wears toupees. It's almost oh, like, sure. though, he, that it was supposed to be on top of his head, but they stuck it on the side of his head for some reason. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It is like a little, it kind of recalls Kingpin a little bit. Yeah. Like, he had a better yeah, yeah, one. He had a better yeah, one in yeah, True yeah. Detective. <laughs> we gotta rate Woody's rate Woody's toupees, rank them. Some, somebody needs to make a list out there. Rank, rank I, I do like toupees. this line. You know, he's he's searching for his tribe or family. I don't know which. And uh, Beckett says, "What's the difference?" You know, he looks around. So again, this this idea that you know, family comes in all different uh, all different shapes and sizes, and you know, Han's gonna find his family in a few years. We get the origin of the oh, DL-44 yeah. right here. And Chewie's bandolier, bandolier. for that matter. The original bandolier. You know, they're, they're, get, you know, they're packing up with the heat. I, you know, I keep trying to find a shot of the DL-44 in its full rifle configuration, and I, it's not in the visual guide. Mm. And I was, I was really surprised, but I would like to see it. The visual guide is really fluffy, I think. You know, it's, it's nothing like when David West Reynolds did those visual dictionaries oh my god those were so amazing these new these new guides i think are a little restricted because once you state something in one of these they become canon and like yeah, and right. future filmmakers aren't going to pay attention to it so there's almost like a limited limited amount of information you could put in these books because of that fact. As a matter of fact, there was something just recently that was discarded from uh, the Force Awakens revol- uh, 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 involving the Millennium Falcon. And uh, let me see if I could dig up in my mental files what exactly that was. But it was a uh, it was a a, a total uh, a, a total uh, totally contradicts something we see here in Solo, and that was only for the Force Awakens just a mm. couple years ago, a year and a half ago. 
two years ago. Yeah, I mean, there's been so many, like, blueprints and cross-sections and what have you of the Millennium Falcon. I don't think they match up, do they? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to maintain because, uh, you know, yeah. when, when you start dealing also technically with the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, well, I, I just... That's been my contention for many years is that the Star Wars unit... This isn't Star Trek. Spare me the blueprints. Oh, but I love that stuff. You know, I mean, I used to be so jealous when none of that existed for Star Wars and Star Trek had all of that stuff. I used to go to bookstores and see shelf after shelf of Star Trek technical manuals and history guides. And I'd be like, why can't they make this crap for Star Wars? And now that they do... I got you for years telling say no, they shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, are you kidding me? I love it. I love it. But we're in, you know, we're in this era where now Star Wars movies are infinite and uh, could happen as much as you know people want to pay to see them, and uh, you know they'll keep churning them out. So it's it's hard to develop any sort of strict history books and it things is. like that it's, it is you know, it's unfortunate I, it was fun while it lasted i'll say that i tell you you don't get much more wild west than a train heist you know when you talk about making this uh, a space western i mean that really it mm-hmm. really delivers i was here, thinking about you know? that yeah. i mean this is billy the kid this is no passengers though so they can't go in there and say excuse me ma'am you know, no, just yeah. just coming on through. <laughs> Nobody will get hurt. Just do what I say. But I, the, yeah, the, the the structure of this sequence is really amazing. And, you know, I, I, I also think about how this compares to the prequels in terms of special effects. And, I mean, this, I don't know. To me, this just has such a reality to it. Oh, yeah. That what, I mean, yeah. if this was done in the prequel era, it would have looked so different. Yeah. Well, it would have been a, a much more probably fantastical planet and there would have been so much visually going yeah, on you wouldn't more be able stuff to focus around. on the exactly. yeah. yeah George just couldn't help himself in some of that stuff there is, there is an old fashioned quality to this whole thing even though it's just a crazy setting but I mean it, yeah. it is an old west yeah train heist it sure is and it you sure know is. I mean these guys could be riding up on horses it'd, it'd be the same yeah. type of structure well, it also feels a little Indiana Jones-ish to me. Oh, yeah. You know, there's that the train sequence at the beginning of Last Crusade with young Indy. Now we've got young Han also on a train with a, you know, mentor. Now, we, we lose Rio here, which I am still disappointed about. I Yeah. I, I really like yeah, Rio. Yeah, they bite it pretty quick. Val and yeah. Rio, we, we lose them right away. Yeah, he got so it. He, got it. he gets a good death, though. <laughs> he does, I mean, right? He does like say it's going to be okay, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. you, you get to feel it. it. They definitely allow you to feel it. I mean, this is right out of like war movies and stuff. <laughs> oh, it's nothing. Just Nick mean he yeah. almost like yeah. decapitates them as he lands on the train. <laughs> yeah. It's like oh, so they poor know Rio. Going. Yeah. But here, you know, Beckett's uh, his gut pays off. He, uh, you know. Right away, Han pays dividends. Chewie pays dividends. Um, until, of course, the whole mission goes south at the end, and they're in big trouble. But uh, Yeah, once the 13-year-old girl shows up, it all just... Uh... <laughs> well, you know, she's got a biker gang, and they're... Uh, right. <laughs> and I, it's, it, 
I think uh, Cannon says she's 16, by the way. Oh, okay. So. Is that how old she is? Yeah. Well, and she, I, you know, and I caught oh, this. Jason, if you gang. think 16, well, 16 year old girls can't cause a lot of problems in your life, oh, you just wait. You just wait. <laughs> okay. You're about five years away, my yeah. friend. <laughs> Yeah, from right, six years away. From uh, Close yeah, it up. yeah, uh huh, uh huh. Miss Bailey Swank, <laughs> sweet sixteen. Yeah. Oh, the, these probe droid looking things are fun. Swank will be like, here's, here's my daughter. It's her sweet sixteen. Her name is Emphy's Nest. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I, you know, the the sort of dual um, identity thing going on with Emphy's Nest. Uh, or the, I guess it really isn't a dual identity. It's more of a, kind of a surprise. Now let's find out who Enfys Nest really is. And they take the mask off. And this is really the first time we see Han, you know, at the helm of a of a ship. Uh, you know, he, he's got the little land speeder there on Corellia, but it's the first time we see him. And we're supposed to uh, assume that he got his piloting skills from the Empire, right? Or did he have it before? Well, no, he said to that recruiting guy that he's he's a pilot. He's, you know, doesn't he say that to the recruiting? He does. He does. So does I'm he? a hell of a pilot. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he, he did already know how to fly. And he said his father, you know, later in the film, we learned that his father worked on Carillion shipyards. So maybe Han had access to some starships at a young age due to the access he would gain through his father, whatever. And yeah. maybe that's why they don't have a very good relationship, because Han kept trashing the ships and his dad would have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, as soon as he built them, Han would trash them. Yeah. Yeah, this is quite a couple of days for the Beckett character, losing uh, the off-screen character in the the Mimban battle, and then now here. Now, why did she blow the bridge when she her life is at risk? Why couldn't she just wait for them? Why didn't she say, listen, they got me pinned in here. Uh, come on up and blast these droids out of the way. And then uh, once you guys are clear, I'll blow the bridge. Why do they have to blow the bridge? Because the train's coming. Yeah, I know the train is coming. But why do they have to blow the bridge? So, they, well, I, I guess so they can so they extract can get the, the one car okay. and the rest of it goes off the rails. But I, I don't know, you know. But does know. Val does have sense? to sacrifice herself? So they complete the mission? Yeah, I was a little foggy about that myself. Well, she does it to... Yeah, well... She says she's pinned in there. Right. But it just well, her other like- choice is to not do it, and they don't complete the mission. So the mission, obviously, she considered that more important than herself. I guess we don't know why at this point. You know, in a way, I think that, that takes away a little bit of the impact, because we don't know why she... I, I guess we don't really know what her reasons are for... I mean, you, you, having to Rio's have Rio's death has a lot more impact. Uh, hers seems a little melodramatic to me, I guess, because it just. Mm-hmm. Well, she sacrificed herself, but I don't. I, agree. I don't know why the heist was worth her giving her life. Yeah, right. You know, she could have kept fighting them and said, "Hey, you guys, when you get here, forget the mission." 
and you got to blast these droids out of the way as you come flying by. Just blast them out of the way. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're doing this heist for themselves, right? They're going to sell it to Crimson Dawn and well, retire. Well, they're right? doing Isn't it, that the whole plan? Yes. Well, they have to, you know, they have to so what's, present this stuff to Crimson Dawn. And it appears that there is no other option. It was, But, I mean, success. it's not like they have a higher purpose other than that. I mean, they're not doing it to fight the Empire at this point. No. Well, and it seems like maybe they've already been paid by Crimson Dawn. Well, he, you know, he says we weren't stealing for ourselves. We were stealing for Crimson Dawn. We were hired yeah. by Crimson Dawn. But it's, but they're not doing it because they believe in a cause, you know. Right. It's, no, I mean, they're ultimately guns. doing it for themselves. But he says now we owe them this coaxium. So you get the sense that yeah. I mean, you know, failure is not an option here. It's it, not like they can say, it, "Well, you just don't have to pay me." It marks them. Yeah. They, now they yeah. got a, now they got a price on their head, target on right. their back, whatever. Yeah, I just still don't understand why Val had to give her life for a mission that ended up in failure yeah. anyway. Yeah. I mean, it was a shock moment, but yeah, I agree. It just the resonance isn't there because it's not totally It's not yeah. It seemed unnecessary. Now we now we get to see Han uh, so often now in the cold climate. You know, we saw him in Hoth. Uh we saw him in uh uh, on Starkiller Base, yeah. and now here. So Han's rocking the furry coat. Is this the same furry coat that we see him in uh, Force Awakens? No, I don't think so. That was uh, more bluish. And, of course, we'll get into that conversation. Blue coat, brown coat, what have you. <laughs> but this no, is this, clearly brown, right? Yeah, this, this, is, is, a, and this is a big uh, furry job here that he's got on. I the one in Force Awakens seemed to... Uh, oh, you're right. It's more like the Hoth jacket in, in Force Awakens. Right. But I will tell you, the aesthetic of that scarf is right out of Empire Strikes Back. The way he has it tied around like that. and mm, mm-hmm. It's the same sort of scarf, just brown instead of the off-white. Yeah. Now, one of the criticisms I read uh, was how quickly uh, the Beckett character seems to get over the death of Val. Here, you know, he's kind of cutting up and joking already. Uh, and if this was the the love of his life, uh, but it, it's his grief is carried out a lot more in the book, apparently. Yeah. Oh, they definitely in the novelization. Much more is made about the relationships between all the characters, between Han and Chewie, between Beckett and Val, between Lando and L3. And uh, all of that stuff, you, you get a, a lot more insight into the way those relationships tick in the novelization. And uh, Beckett does mourn Val much more in the book. Yeah, there's more of that. There's more clarity about uh, about where they stand with each other. But not that clarity about why she uh, sacrificed herself. Where is that book? I'm going to flip through. <laughs> I, I want to the see novel. Yourself. Yeah, you have the novel. Yeah, I want to flip through this for a second. Well, these guys are checking into checking their weapons. Uh, I don't remember seeing him uh, losing both guns. Is he is he holding on to one? Hey, look at that head, man. <laughs> <laughs> these guys are great. That is so weird. That is weird. That is the Star Wars weird factor right there. Yes, yes. I mean, the yes. song is bizarre. 
I mean, it's not as catchy as the cantina right. theme, but that uh, that is pretty crazy right there. You got you got like, Grace Jones there dancing, and, yeah, and, and Bing Crosby in a in a in a bucket, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, there's some really cool looking. There are some pretty cool looking creatures in this place. Yes, and again, the art Ooh. kind of an Art Deco ish uh, influence. Where, where have we seen that in Star Wars? Episode two had a lot of Art Deco, maybe on Coruscant yes. or something. Uh-huh. Or, I'm trying to think of where they've used it. I know they've used it before. Oh, and this this crazy thing. This was uh, the decraniated, his little... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, look at that. Half a head. Yeah, now that's a concept that was developed for Rogue One, but hardly seen on screen. The decraniated, which is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a breed of servant droid hybrids, you know, droid-human hybrids, and... Uh, yeah, very scary stuff. Very scary stuff. Well, he was talking to her. I, I, I don't know how, how. Yeah, <laughs> how that works. I don't think with, there was much no of a head. conversation yeah. going on there. It's something <laughs> no. like talking to your TV, you know. And the TV's not much off. of a relationship, I, I I would guess. Well, I mean, it's interesting. You've got the imperial officers, you know, in, enjoying the hospitality of of Dryden Voss. So it's it's. You know, you see the relationship between the Empire and the Underworld coming together here. It's not like he's ever saw any Imperials hanging out in Jabba's palace. So this is a cut above. Oh, and she's looking the fine. Oh. <laughs> you know what this Fancy whole thing... Fancy re- you here. You know what the whole thing... You know, there there is... Uh, they- they're, they really do make a nice. Uh, uh, there's a nice vibe that they get across here, where you know something. You know, it's they're happy to see each other, but there's something not quite right. And I, I think like of uh, the searchers with John Wayne, like he has spent all this time trying to find her, or has focused his life on, you know, that that it would be complete once he finds her and they would be together. Mm-hmm. But she has. Uh, you know, like in the Searchers, when John Wayne finally finds Natalie Wood, she is a she has become part of an Indian tribe. She doesn't really mm. want to go with him. Yeah, uh, um, and you get you get a sense of that here, that even if she could leave, she maybe maybe doesn't even want to. I guess we never really fully find out. Well, yeah, I, I think, I mean, she's property. Yeah. You, you have to understand. She's property. Right. In the novelization, it's explained that once she was taken back to the White Worms in Lady Proxima, she was sold to into slavery. She didn't remember exactly. I mean, she was barely with this original owner. And the original owner then sold her off to another owner. And that owner was Dryden Voss. So he owns her. She is a slave. Yeah, but she never really expresses any desire to escape this life. And she's obviously living fairly well. Well, she might Even though, yeah, I mean, she's branded. and Well, think about what they do with slaves in the Star Wars universe. Think about Anakin Skywalker. They would implant a device into them, an explosive device that could be detonated. So if you try to escape... They'll blow you up. Boom! I know, but she, she never mentions <laughs> By the way, did like you guys that. see a two-fisted drinker there, Chewbacca? Uh, yeah, I love oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he clearly, you know, he's, he's listening to what Han said. She says, uh, let's get, what does she say to him? 
Let's get a drink or two. I'd love to. Oh, you know, and she says, says, she yeah. says what, do we, what, do we, what do we drink to? What do we drink to? Let's drink to. Let's yeah. find out. Yeah. See where, yeah. And so Chewie's standing there. He has a drink for Han. And now here you can see in this shot, Paul Bettany is like 6'5 or something. Now look at him compared to Harrelson. And you'll especially see the height difference with him and Aaron Reich. Yeah, well, Woody Harrelson <laughs> yeah, is considerably taller than Alden. And uh, you really notice that when they stand side by side to each other, uh, when they confront Emphy's nest at the refinery toward the end of the film. Woody looks like an NBA player standing next to Alden. <laughs> well, See they, how they frame these shots? So shot they, low, yeah. They like, shoot it low, have Alden shot. in the forefront. Here, now look yeah. at here. I mean, he's like, you could clearly see he's like a foot taller than everybody. Oh, well, except for Chewy. <laughs> well, yeah. Obviously. Yeah, here's his collection. He's got a collection here. That would make Steve Sand sweet drool. So what do you what do you guys think of Dryden Voss is a bad guy? Uh, you know, I, I'm still a little lukewarm on this guy. I, I don't think that uh, he, he you know he, he's he's certainly no Darth Vader. He's no Jabba the Hutt. He's no Boba Fett. He's no Darth Maul. Uh, he's he's pretty he's pretty weak. He's not he's not even a Snoke. You know, uh, he's kind of the the mustache twirling variety. I think yes. he'd make a good Bond villain. He would, yes. I've, yes, I've uh, started to like yeah. him more, though. I mean, I and I his the the stripes on his face they do get darker when he starts yeah, getting angry. They intensify. Oh. But you know what? You know what? There's something interesting about him is that he does. There's like a, a humor about him. It's very subtle, but he, uh, you know, he's not he's not necessarily making friends with these guys, but he uh, he does seem amused by Solo and. Just mm-hmm. his his nerve, and you know, there's a number of scenes where he's just like, "This has been great," you know, <laughs> or you know, this guy, you know, this guy really has uh, got a lot of nerve. <laughs> and it, you know, you almost think that God, if they if they did join forces, they'd probably be you know pretty powerful. But uh, but but on the other hand, there's there there also seems to be a, a psychopathic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, persona yeah, guy- lurking beneath. Yes, he's, this guy's just seconds away from completely snapping, and yeah, you wouldn't want to turn your back on him for a, for a second. A little drop of the uh, the pikes there, a little reference the, uh, that we met in the Clone Wars. And that skull back there—that's the uh, from the the uh, Han Solo novel, uh, Lost Legacy. Oh, Han Solo, Han Solo and the Lost, Lost Legacy. Legacy. Yeah. Uh, huh. That was on the cover of that book. So, by the way, I looked in the novelization, and uh, the the rationale for Val uh, staying put was that if she moved, uh, if she moved away from her shelter, she would have been blasted by the droids. Uh, if she moved one way, and if she moved the other way, she would have been blasted by the explosion. But it doesn't Ooh. explain well. Here's an idea, Val. Don't press the button. Well, it doesn't explain anything in the book. So her sacrifice still seems kind of uh, weird to me. Uh, somebody could explain it. Yeah. Well, that that Float sounds like she email, had no yeah. choice in the book. But in the well, in movies, the book though, but in the book it, it comes down to this explosion. You know, mm-hmm. she's the one holding the detonator. 
It, yeah. So, you know, when the mission goes south, the mission goes south, you know. In the end of the day, her sacrifice was worthless because they didn't get the coaxium. And I think it also was established in the novel that uh, there's more than, you know, just a, a, a slave owner relationship going on here with these two. I think Dryden well, has taken some yeah. unfortunate liberties with Kira. Yes. That comes up a lot in the novel where Kira has, uh, you know, she's had a rough history yeah. in that yeah. in that regard. You know. Yep, she's she's property and well, she definitely yeah. Ways. I mean, she definitely seems frightened of the guy. I mean, you can see that here. Yeah. Uh, intimidated. He's a very intimidating dude. Yeah. Well, because of that that psychopathic way that he has, uh, it's got to be tough, you know, for Han to see. Uh, you know, sit there and he's been waiting three years to get back and to, to find her and he finds her and she's being groped by this creepy gangster. Oh, now, now we're getting to the real <laughs> meat and potatoes of this movie. <laughs> uh, impeccable taste. You know, finally the story can begin. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm happy Puppet Lando is here for this uh, part of the commentary. Oh, he's he's retired. He's like 20 years old and he's retired. What was that TV show where they would have the robots fight the killer? Oh, robot robots. wars, right? Ro- or killer robots or something? Oh, I forget. Remember, it was a big thing for a, a year or two. The robots fighting. Now, did they use Billy D's voice when they're walking I in here? I don't think I've heard so. Because it, it does sound very it much does, like Billy D. But I don't think they did. I think that's pure Donald Glover. Great aliens in here. Mm. Really, uh, since Star Wars has come back, this is one of your best grouping of off-the-wall aliens. I like all of them. They have personality. They're yep. not just like these blobs of fleshy, you know, and fish eyes. It's uh, <laughs> fleshy latex. <laughs> yeah. Oh, would you, who, like now, who is this? Is that, is that, is that Akbar? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always, you know, people ask me, you know, I just tell them, don't, don't ask me what the names are. <laughs> Mark that? Hamill's the same way. We used to call that guy. <laughs> Bug balls yeah. and butt, you know. butt face. <laughs> yeah, we chase him around with some uh, melted butter. Hand here it all yeah. serves. Hand, mm-hmm. hand, hand, and then he lets him get away with it for the rest yeah. of their relationship. Yep. You know, even when Han's not around, and now he's got me doing it. When Han's not around, he still does it. Hand, he's he just can't help himself. That's how he says it. I mean, the build-up to to Lando, uh, you know, you you would think that he would be a little older. You know, um, do we do we assume that he's older than than Han? Han? Mm, yeah, maybe just a little bit. I mean, he's accomplished a lot, according to Kira. I assumed uh, about the same for age. His age. He's really? retired. You know, he's retired. He's so good. Um. You know, so I, that's thrown me a little bit. It's, the the VCX one hundred is a Corellian ship that Han is. Uh, it's a, that's his pretend ship that he's betting here, 
And uh, that is actually the same sort of ship that Hera flies. That's the ghost in Rebels, Ah. VCX-100. Oh, I love Anybody? all these guys. Oh, who's yeah, that guy? they He's really like have the, some great. That guy with the there. monkey ears. He was pretty funny. And then the the six E's, six E's. And uh, yeah. yeah, you got six E's over there. And uh, uh, oh, the two head, the bug heads. And then yeah. there's Warwick Davis. That's Warwick Davis. Oh. He's, yeah, he's uh, that's his character Weasel, and he's wearing his. Uh, Emphis Nest gang headwear. That that guy, no, he's he's the same as one of those pod racers that guy was. The guy chewing his nails? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's based on an old pod racer. And there's a rabbit back there. I love the rabbit. Yeah, what is it? Yeah, Yeah, it's like a raccoon. Or something. He's rabbit raccoon. And he's got... He's got a Guardians of the Galaxy or something? He's, he's Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's got a pizza franchise that's in <laughs> 30 of the continental United well, that, States. I, that's the type of creature I think that would have been right at home in the original cantina, actually. Which one? The little the rabbit The furry guy? head. Yeah, yeah. Like, totally. Yeah, you could see him hanging off with, like, Cabe and Muff Tack and mm-hmm. him sitting there having a drink. Absolutely. And now it's getting serious. Well, My ship against your ship. Now, this is just kind of nice because you realize, Han is realizing, hey, you know what? This guy, he's he's willing to bet his ship. You know, so he, he files that away for later reference. Yes. When he really wants to show off, that's what he does. You're good. You're very good. But not good enough. But you're not good enough. And he's a total cheat. He's got that little device on his arm. Six Yees was really blown away by that. I, <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught his expression. See, he, <laughs> he reacts pretty yeah, hard. Huh? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, these are definitely, this is the most Star Wars-y collection of, uh, of aliens that we've seen in the Disney era for sure. Yeah. So the droid wars are going on in the bar, and there's betting going on in the bar. I mean, there's a lot to do at this establishment, let me just say. Usually when I go to a place, it's like, yeah, this is a good place to go play darts and watch a game. But, I mean, this place has it all. You know, you can do everything in here. You can play darts. You can watch droids decapitate one another, and you can play cards and get a drink. Gambling, dismemberment, drinking. What do you call it? So, the, yeah, the droids, it's like a, uh, uh, like a border town cockfight. So what do you, what do you call a droid fight? Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> don't fight? I don't know. Just don't. <laughs> bot fight? Don't call Michael Vick. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name yeah. of that show? They, they, with the, the robots, the, the bots, the... The Fighting Robots show. Remember that? It was a big deal. George Lucas appeared on that show, whatever it was. His daughter was making those fighting robots. Yeah, we talked about it it on the show. I think it was Robot Wars or something. Oh, here's the Aura Singh reference. That was a nice Mm -hmm. touch. Yep. We had a Bosque reference, Aura Singh. 
think she mentions the the Zhao sisters or something like that. Battle bots uh, is what it was called. Battle, Battle bots. bots. Okay, all right. Yeah, Battle bots. It's still on. No kidding. Oh, there. No, it's reruns. Oh, yeah. Formerly hosted Uh-oh. by Tom Green. <laughs> oh, there's L three. L three. L three. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Well, you got L three. You have Clint Howard here. Yes. In one of his greatest roles, next to uh, his starring role in The Ice Cream Man, and of course, who could forget Ticks with his famous line, <laughs> "I'm infested." Clint Howard, he's fantastic. Yeah. And there he is. And of course, Ron always features him in his films. Oh, yeah. He's in every, yes. every Ron Howard movie. Well, and we had James Arnold Taylor on the show a few weeks ago, and he admits to uh, uh, doing some of the uh, ADR work for the, Ron, for the uh, uh, Clint Howard character. Uh, what's his name? Radicilli? Yeah. Sort of like uh, Malakili or Rolakili, Radicilli? Rolakili. So, yeah, there could, <laughs> maybe there's a relation there. Oh, you know there is. There has to be. Rolakili and Rolakili. But they, they, they couldn't say anything about it in the movie or the novelization or the visual guide in case J.J. wants to do something with it. Yeah, L3's got some hips on it. Did you notice that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird. Uh, but, you know, it has to do with the costume, I think, because uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was wearing one of those green suits underneath, and those droid legs were on the outside of the suits. Mm. And so it, and I think it looks really weird when she's kind of crouching down here and cutting open the, the gate into the impound yard. It looks so weird. Look, so it's like, you know, with those wide hips. Yeah. And then she's got the 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 DVR, the DVD drive. And she... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's like, don't look at me. Yeah. Don't look at me. And uh, so apparently... <laughs> look, look, well, it looks like, I don't know what it looks like she's yeah, doing there. But, uh, those hips. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, I saw That's... a girl do that in a parking garage somewhere <laughs> once. Behind the car after the football game. And oddly enough, she also said, you know, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Yeah, right, right. L3. But uh, so here they are. They're Now, they're in an impound yard, obviously. And so I kept wondering, I'm like, is this really Lando's ship? Or is he stealing someone else's ship? I, uh, I, I had wondered that, you know. Well, I was watching the whole movie, but then, you know, after a while, but it's obvious. Kira does that. say that he won it, right, earlier? Or that when Lando does that come? Yeah, so, I mean, it was like she was already familiar with with the Falcon. And he's he knows of all the uh, accoutrements that, that's in there. Oh, yeah, he gives know, the little rundown here. The, with the wet bar and all that. But there is the, you know, the Denver boot is on the Falcon. There, yeah. So I got to say, something about... Glover's performance here is different than the rest of the movie. Have you noticed that? It's right in this scene. His voice sounds different. Hmm. I don't know if this is something maybe they shot earlier. But, I mean, a lot of this dialogue is looped later, so I don't I don't know if that really matters. Well, you know, it, it, it is a patchwork of a film. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what we're seeing here, uh, whether or not it was shot by Ron Howard or whether it was shot by Lord and Miller. 
Gosh, will we ever get the full story on some no. of these movies? Yeah, I was just going to ask. Yeah, Although we real. have had little leaks of information about some of the mayhem behind the making of Rogue One from Tony oh, yeah? Gilroy. But I don't see Ron Howard being the type of guy to kiss and tell. You know, he's not going to... He's not going to reveal any information. He has a much deeper and tighter relationship with Lucasfilm and the legacy of Lucasfilm, for crying out loud. I mean, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he probably wants to make Willow, too, so he ain't rocking no Yeah, more. there's <laughs> no interest there for him to do that. He's still making movies. Yeah. A much cleaner Falcon than what we're used to seeing. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to know what he did with my ship. <laughs> we have a we have an excerpt from the novel here that I think Puppet Lando's going to read. It's it's a little excerpt about the Millennium Falcon itself. Um, oh no, where's my page? Here it is. Why don't uh, you just read this little bit? Here's uh, we're going to take a break here and learn a little bit about the Millennium Falcon from uh, Puppet Lando himself. This is a. Uh, Excerpt from the Solo, a Star Wars story novelization. Oh, now, you got the mood lighting on in here. <laughs> well, well, turn up the lighting if you need to, or put on your reading glasses or whatever you have to do there, Puppet Lando. Well, it sets the mood. You can leave it. <laughs> <laughs> While the Millennium Falcon was sleek chrome and white beauty elsewhere, the captain's quarters was where the real... Luxury lived. <laughs> oh, Lady Luxury. As we make the jump to light speed, let me tell you about my love den. With romantic low light reflecting off shimmery wall hangings, low furniture, <laughs> incense <laughs> burning on a table in the corner, and a standalone closet of clothes. In a glorious array of colors, suits, tunic, and capes. So many capes. All right, so we'll be looking for that. Uh, <laughs> what, what the incense burning and the uh, the shimmery wall hangings? Let's see if uh, that made its way into land. Yeah, well, you know, you guys know you got to set a mood. You got to. I mean, <laughs> you know, the Falcon. Well, here, well, here the, it is. This is, is the I, I don't see the shimmery wall hangings. Oh, uh, oh they're there. Look at her. That's, and that, <laughs> she, she went to go check them out. That is the cape. Maybe she was attracted to the room by the incense burning. She just followed her nose and ended up in the cape room. <laughs> yeah, Pepe Le Pew style. She kind of lifted up off the ground and the, uh, the she just kind of floated, smelling the... Uh, you know, this is nice to see. I didn't realize I had so many capes. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Well, I, you know, I thought I, I thought I had, uh, I thought I only got that one when I arrived at Cloud City and became an administrator of that facility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was a bit of a, a uniform. Now I, you see, he's been knocking oh, around in that cape a, for a long that's time. That's a lifestyle, baby. <laughs> well, we also see he he. Is traveling with a uh, a skiff guard uniform as well, just in case he ever finds his way on Tatooine. Uh, you know the way they shoot this. This is looks a lot like the 
scene between Han and Leia and the Empire Strikes Back. Right, and they, yeah. They kiss when she's working on the ship. Uh, at one point, I thought this was the same area of the ship just because of the, the close quarters, but uh, I don't believe that's the case. Now, what in the world possesses Han and Chewie to completely strip the interior of this thing? And, mm. I mean, uh, do they need it for, like, are they selling scrap on the side? Uh, I mean, do they submerge the Falcon somehow and they have to remove everything because of mold? <laughs> uh, what, what, what is the problem? It, it goes downhill real fast, doesn't it? I mean, real fast. It's, it's <laughs> like, you know, it goes from this to, like, Sanford and Son, and I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it. But they leave the chess table, you know, of all the things. All right, yeah. They, they completely strip everything from it. And a lot of people were giving Chewbacca grief for that moment when he hits at the hologram pieces. And Beckett says, oh, those are holograms. You can't do that. Mm. And like, everyone's like, well, Chewie would know that. <laughs> so how do you know Chewie's ever played a video game in his life? Like, yeah. like they have this stuff on Kashyyyk. I don't think so. I don't see Wookiees oh. sitting around playing the Now, wait a minute. Game. If you saw the holiday special, you would know that there, there are oh, holograms right. of Jefferson Airplane <laughs> on Kashyyyk. Jefferson Starship. Jefferson okay. Starship, yes. Not Sorry. the airplane. <laughs> there is a difference. Sigh. <laughs> he just doesn't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, He's well, like, I mean, it's, it's just got a Roomba for a head. Have you noticed that? That is a Roomba, yeah. Yeah. That is a Roomba, but I don't think she, you know, takes it. Oh, so that's interesting. They, they. Oh, now what? See, see this shot. You see, what is that thing up in the? Is that our ship up in the corner there? Did you see that? I didn't. No. Oh. I didn't. I, I see these well, you know, beacons. When you rewatch it, yeah, guide them through. But that's not. Is that the Kessel Run? Those where those beacons are. Or where is the actual Kessel Run itself? Is it just any way in and out yeah, of Kessel? I think so. Okay, so it could be anything. It's not a specific path, but it's just the the process of yeah. Because I think it's always a fluid way. I don't think the the path is is it's not static. It's always it's always changing. So that's well, my impression. Well, what do you make of those beacons that are out there then? Do those well, I don't, move wherever well, the... See, I, that I didn't understand. Is that what they are? I mean, I, I don't know what Yeah, they yeah. Are. They're showing the safe... They're they're guiding ships, you know, mm-hmm. through the safe path to get to Kessel. Yeah. Oh. Well, you've given, given me a lot to think about. Now, this is a conversation <laughs> that I believe is expanded on quite a bit in the novelization. It is, yeah, yeah. Uh, between the two of them and talking about their men. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting talk. because well they they get into, you know, the whole idea of freedom and everything and and essentially L3 tells Kira that she's a droid. And it it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting exchange they have the two of them at that moment. Um probably more compelling than what we get in the film of that moment where it's kind of just played off as sort of a jokey weird thing where we're left thinking that lando his well i thought tried that to get intimate with the droid yeah i thought that that was the moment they were showing us that basically the droid was crazy and they were going to continue <laughs> on that path i mean but they they don't it, it goes into a different direction yeah. 
Yeah. No. But I thought, oh, okay, I get it. The thing they're just gonna that's gonna be the joke is that it's she's actually nuts. She insane. thinks she's she has this relationship with this guy. Now I like Kessel. We get introduced to Quay Tolsite, who is a pike, who we've only seen before in animated form on the Clone Wars. There he mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And I love the look of him. This is when I see this movie. As an action figure collector, I say, where is this action figure? I want it right now. I have to have it. <laughs> but I don't even have a Han three and three quarter inch figure at this point. Uh, so they're starting to show up finally. Oh, good, good. Finally. Wait, is this what this look, this creature looked like in the Clone Wars? Did it look like that? Uh, yes, yes and no. It's, it's more practical looking here. They had like smaller faces in the Clone Wars. And uh, but similar with those tubes coming out of the bottom and everything, um, they were I think a little more intricately designed in the Clone oh. Wars than what we see oh. here. But uh, you can go ahead and, and find them in the uh, I believe it's season five, Darth Maul and uh, the Mandalore, uh, the Death Watch arc when Darth Maul takes over the Death Watch. He also brings in the Pike Syndicate. Yes, he's building his shadow collective. Mm. And I love how L3 is serving in the C-3PO role here and actually translating for yes. Quay. Yes. It, it makes me think to myself, you know, it just irritates me to no end that Ray can understand BB-8. It just irritates me well, to no end. When did this happen when Star Wars characters could understand the beeping of droids? C-3PO's purpose was to be there to tell us what R2 was saying. And that's well, why that uh, dynamic well, Luke, works so well. Well, Luke figures it out, but... Does do, Luke... Does he? Well, yes, he he's in there. Yeah, but that's new era Star Wars, where they're understanding droids all of a sudden. I, well, see, I didn't realize, when I was a he, kid, I didn't realize that Luke only understood... Or two, at least in the first movies, when he was in the X-Wing, because he was reading the screen. Right. He was reading the screen, but you do see some conversation on Dagobah. Yeah, but that's more like react reaction stuff. Well, true. It's how you would, you know, it'd be like talking to your dog. R2 makes an inquisitive beep, and Luke goes, I don't know, just feel like I've been here. But with with Ray, she's just like, you know, the Alenium system, like, you know, she's clearly understanding, (laughs) you know. Exactly what the droid is saying. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, it's one thing to respond to an inquisitive beep, and another thing to get direct information <laughs> from the droid via beeps and boops. And then, of course, Luke, you know, he, he reprimands R2 on his language there in The Last Jedi. But again, that's new era Star Wars. That was never a part of original or prequel era stuff. You got the Wookiee ripping the arms out of the sockets. Thank you. <laughs> we were supposed to see this in The Force Awakens. There's a, a, a deleted scene where... Uh, no, I'm, I'm not Car kidding. Plud. I've seen it. I'm not, yeah, yeah. Uncar Plutt, where he gets... You know, Chewie rips his arms out. He comes hunting. He hunts down Rey and uh, finds... Eventually finds Rey in Maz Kanata's castle. Uh, it's, it's kind of disturbing, isn't it? Cool stuff yeah. from Beckett. He grabs that... That skiff guard helmet, which is important. Beckett has to leave with the skiff guard armor and helmet intact. He cannot leave anything behind. 
No. Because then what land, what's Lando going to wear in Return of the Jedi? <laughs> Some of Han's clothes. And he did not... I remember there's that scene, you know, at the beginning of Jedi when we see Lando and he pulls the mask down. I always yeah. love, like, there's no reason for him to do that other than to show us his face. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was getting, I, was, I was wondering, I was waiting for Beckett to do that in here. He's sweaty. He's sweaty. I get, that might have been too much. That's another room in the Millennium Falcon, though. You have the cape closet and then you have the skiff guard armor closet, just in case. Mm-hmm. I love all the the variety of the droids we see here. Yeah, these droids in particular, you know, uh, uh, I guess an influence on uh, the original droids w- were the robots and Silent Running. Did you guys ever see that? Uh, no, but I I know of its influence. I think John Dykstra did. Uh, did John Dykstra do I special effects so. on that? Yeah. Or Douglas Trumbull in Trumbull his department. Trumbull did, yes, yes. Douglas Trumbull for sure. And but these droids Dyke are Shrek very come up similar. through all that. And uh, I, didn't Ralph McQuarrie do some work for Silent Running? I believe he did. I mean, I'm definitely not an expert on it. I've seen it a couple of times. But the, but these droids, yes, I, they're, they're very similar to what's in Silent Running. The way they hop around and stuff. All right, now help me find Anthony Daniels. He's you, somewhere in this sequence. I, when you hear he, his voice, Physically, too. or is he just a voice in this? I, yeah. he's, I don't know that he was on set. I thought maybe it was just voiceover. I've heard a lot of conflicting things about his involvement in this scene. Is it a voiceover? Is he playing uh, one of these, these guards? Is he... A Wookiee? Who is he? Where is he? Well, the real Anthony Daniels. Please stand up. Please stand up. <laughs> and we get, we've got these other Wookiees coming up, too. That, oh, what are they, boy. Yeah. They're like, uh, what, do we, what, do, what do they look like? Land, Somebody said, like, Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost. Wild Boy. What was the name of those creatures in Land of the Lost? Flea Stacks. No, not the sleaze stacks. The, uh, they were more reptilian, those things. Yeah, the, right, right, right. Well, this was Chaka from Land of the Lost. Awesome chewy action here. There, yeah. there he is. There's, oh, a, yeah. there's that, that hippie. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Thanks for rescuing man. Now, see, he doesn't have the skiff guard helmet. No. So yep. we, we have to make yep. sure he picks that up and walks out with it. Otherwise, it throws off everything in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, they can't everything. Be that plentiful. It's <laughs> well, and and you know the character that Leia takes on and Bausch is significant. You know, you can't just dress up as anybody and get in the door. Orlando, not not Bausch. Yeah, you're confused. Character, I was confused. <laughs> Is it Bausch or Boosh? Orlando, body hunter named Boosh. The action figure is Lando Calrissian skiff guard disguise. Skiff guard disguise. Right. Yeah. And so that's his skiff guard disguise. He just, he just blended in with the weak ways. Well, you don't think they made him take that helmet off and like see who he was? And Jabba, you know, here's the other thing. You know, now that we've we've seen Rebels and Clone Wars, is uh, you, you would think that Jabba might recognize Lando. Have they ever crossed paths? Character. But we we've never seen them cross paths. Well, no, no, we haven't. We haven't. It's, 
The Conversation Chronicles. Because he's podcasting here. Yeah. This is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's a legit Star Wars podcaster. Yeah, for sure. Mando podcast. But it's like a selfie. It's like a weird selfie. He's, he's watching himself <laughs> as he dictates this. This is so bizarre. <laughs> but first... I'd like to give a shout out to Audible.com. Audible. <laughs> She's got some birthing hips. This one here. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of the the feeling. But she's cobbled together. You know, the, like, the legend yeah. is she she put herself together from various different droid parts. Yeah, it's you like get a lot droids, of great astromechs here in this scene. Those droids that were added. Added to the special edition of New Hope that yeah. were on uh, Mos Eisley kind of had that look. Some of them. Yeah, the one that bon- that kind of bonks down that droid when they're driving through. Akamata. 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 <laughs> well, he uh, speaks chewy. a lot of different... Uh... <laughs> Han just orchestrating the fight, pointing things out for Chewie to take on. This is, you know, and this is classic Lando Chewy, you know. You know, it's it, Sagwa. He says, uh, he says, Sagwa, keep up. Uh, was that Han saying that, or where's Anthony Daniels? I think he's that right, emaciated-looking Wookie. Where is he? Where is he? Maybe he runs by in this sequence where they're all running. Come around. on, no, I think he's playing that Wookie. He he might, but he's not tall enough. You know, I was watching. I'm not clear. How many Wookies are there? Are there? A, it's just the two. There's just two of them. Okay. Yeah, it's just and, two wait, and and and. Uh, no, I think there's others. I think there are other Wookies out there. Well, you never see. I mean, you never see. You more never than, really see him. But I mean, if you look in the background, my initial impression was like he freed a bunch of them. But the only see now that I see it again, you just see. Chaka. I'm not sure. Now that shot where he throws the blaster to Han, there's an alternate shot where he he like bounces the blaster off the side of the Falcon and then Han catches it. <laughs> it's like a rebound, you know, uh-huh. like a racquetball kind of thing. Oh, that was um, who, uh, who's not Lawrence Kasdan? Who's the other Kasdan? John John Kasdan. John Kasdan. That th- right there. These shots are the ones he said he wanted. He mo- he wanted modeled. After the Marvel right. uh, covers, the, yes. these action shots where they're, you know, in these firing stances and fighting off brigades of Imperials or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I have a lot of respect. I, yeah. For I mean, the composition like is really cool when you know that. I have a lot of respect for uh, that sort of approach to start where you say, I want a shot to look like one of the old Marvel comics covers from the <laughs> 70s and 80s. It's like, oh, okay. I. I I, I think you get it. <laughs> if that's if that's the direction we're going in, well played, sir. Well played. Oh, she's all breaking apart now. Oh, that's yeah. just that's just it's just <laughs> so weird. This is this yeah. Is I don't know what this. Situation. I can It's almost it, comedic, but I don't think it's supposed to be right. I mean, no. I, it just, I think just it's does unintentionally correct. Uh, yeah, me. it is. This is unintentionally funny. Is what this is. Um, but she's right there. That's Anthony Daniels. That guy who's like this way. That is not Anthony Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like hell yeah. set on finding that guy in here. <laughs> you know what it reminds you know, uh, 
Donald Glover reminds me of the old man in a Christmas story when he's holding oh, the leg yes. lamp. Dude, you nailed it. I've been trying to think of what that reminded me of. Oh, like that, is, that is exactly right. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, I've been trying to put my finger on what it was about that scene. That is exactly right. <laughs> you used all the glue on purpose. And he's just so pathetic. He's like, Frigorelli can't even speak anymore. <laughs> holding the... T- fishnet stockings and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's so ridiculous <laughs> and now he carries it in the backyard oh, that's great. I think that's what he that's does awesome. in all three yeah the, the things like spasming yeah it's just just it's unlike any other I and I think I've mentioned this to you before death. I have a real problem uh, you know and I send your hate mail I don't really care but I just I, I have a problem developing much sympathy or, or emotion towards robots. I, I and I don't like when when stories ask me to do that. And I well, I never really felt Star Wars did. I mean, what about R two and three PO? No, no, you don't have any sort of connection to R two and three PO. <sighs> not not in a human sense. No, <laughs> I just I don't. I mean, they're not. They're not. They're not people. And you call They're not people. They're just fan. not. It's not that I don't care about them. They're just not people. They're not on the same level. Well, they can always be repaired. In this right. situation, you're dealing with L3. She cannot be repaired here. She's gone. But yeah. like, yeah, when R2 got blown away at the end of New Hope, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I was thrilled that he was all cleaned up and shiny at the end. But what about 3PO? It's and, not a, an empire well, where everything not. seems to be going wrong at that moment. Well, I never really believed that they were... You know, I'm kind of with you, Bill, in the sense that I never really believed they were in a whole lot of danger because they could be repaired. Right. Because they could, you know, potentially have their memory put into something else. I mean, not that we'd ever seen that, but you kind of, as a kid in robots, you think that that's a possibility. Yeah. I I felt, uh, listen, I felt an emotional. Coming out with his. uh, Oh, yeah, that is true. Yeah, he does kind of look like Luke at the end of uh, Empire. Yeah, but I I definitely felt an emotional reaction when K two S O sacrificed himself. Well, we we're yeah. taught, yeah, and I and it, it was very well done. But I just, I mean, I don't know. At the end of the day, they're just your relationship. I I think the, a lot of these movies, there's a, a subtle commentary about our our relationship with technology, and it's not you know we're not really supposed to. Well, I don't know that we're supposed to make equate them, them with humans. Right. And, and, and they're they're, tools. They're, they're I mean, slaves. I don't think that uh, George ever intended the uh, droids to be an allegory for slavery. Uh, no. And if you can, I mean, they're just, yeah. I mean, if you if you could save a human or a droid and you had to choose between the two and, and the droid, you know, you're, 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 say, more attached to the droid. Okay. But you would you always have to choose the human, even if it's a stranger. I mean, to me, those things are obvious. But, right. But, well, but sometimes know, I, I see these way. movies, and they're it's like I don't know. They seem to be coming from a different philosophy. Like they're 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 they have well, rights just like we do. But I don't. They don't have a soul. They're just programmed. Right. And we're supposed well, think, to know that. Right. It's a it's a bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. I, I certainly it's obvious what the what the um, you know. The, the point that they're trying to make, but making it with droids seems to be a bit of a stretch. Jim, you brought up, uh, I think it might have been when Force Awakens was coming out and 
we were all you know falling in love with BB-8 that you said well you know th- this idea of these droids being special that was something that was unique to R2 right and 3PO R2 was unique and you get that sense in episode 1 you know when all the astromechs are trying to repair uh Padme's ship that there's something special about R2. Right. You know, that little droid did it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. she she get, she kind of gives him a medal. Like, from then on, man, it's about, it, it's R2. He separates himself. I believe that R2's connection to uh, being the guy who always saved the day, you know, and helped out people and people respected him. And uh, there was a relationship that Luke had with him, Anakin had with him. Um, but Luke, more strongly than anyone, it, it was that, that connection Luke had. And I felt like it was the will of the force kind of giving some, you know, p- placing R2 in these moments. And it was very mm. uncommon for anyone. And George Lucas used to say that. He said, yeah, droids are like toasters in Star Wars. Yeah, they're appliances. Nobody right. has a relationship with a droid. And nobody right. would remember one. You wouldn't necessarily be able to pick out the toaster that you had in the house growing up as a kid. or Right. Uh, yeah. That's why, you know, that's the explanation for why Ben didn't recognize R2 when he was reunited with him out there on the desert. Or do you have a relationship with it in the way that you have a relationship with a a customized car? You know, I mean, it it, it becomes Mm -hmm. personal to you, but it's, you know, it's your gear. It's your stuff. You know, I mean, it's not. You're not going to cradle it. Right. Right. (laughs) You're not going to confuse it with your grandma or anything. I mean, (laughs) it's something you take pride in, maybe. You know, you, you, we, we. But but I but I think that there's a through line of of like the danger of of giving yourself over to technology. I mean that's what Vader is to a large degree. He's lost his humanity to uh, technology. He's just a you know he's barely barely even human. And what what yes. is there is devoted to the it's image a perversion. This it's image a perversion, of, yeah. of of this this uh, state. You know this empire. I mean he's the face of it. He's not. He doesn't even have his own face anymore. You know, yeah. and I mean, if if L three is so driven on independence and liberation, why is she following Lando around in the first place? Well, she's in love with him, right? Isn't that the? Oh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. She's in love with him. Um, by the way, uh, some of these shots that she sawed a moment ago of Kira, you know, flying around the Falcon and and putting out the fires and stuff. Uh, very reminiscent of Carrie Fisher. They're, they're kind of built the same way. They're both very, mm-hmm. very petite, but they're just—they um, have such commanding presence on the screen, despite being diminutive. You know, very tough. Yeah, I really like this actress. I don't. I haven't. So she's from Game Game of Thrones. Game of right? Thrones. And I, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that, but she looks completely different in that show, right? Yeah, right. Blonde she's blonde. Yep, yep. She's blonde, and she's with uh, Aquaman. And I, I didn't realize I had seen her. She's in a Terminator movie too. Um, and again, really? I which yeah. one? Um, shoot, I don't know. But she plays Salvation? young young Sarah Connor. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't seen. Is that it one. Salvation? Whatever that one is. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Young Sarah Connor. Is that the the not in the TV show? Mm-mm. The no, Connor it was a movie. Show. It was oh. the, it was the one where they had Schwarzenegger. Uh, Schwarzenegger's in it 
Like they, but it's young, It's the young Schwarzenegger. They somehow oh. recreate that. I, I can't. I can't even tell you what the plot uh, is. Just time travel stuff. Listening so to you describe it, <laughs> yeah, I, know. I just feel my franchise burnouts just growing. <laughs> Except for Star Wars, I still love Star Wars. Don't get me yes. wrong. The the reason why I can maintain that is because I blow off all the other franchises. I only have room for one franchise in my life when it comes to films, and that's Star Wars. It's kind of an eerie. Uh, the atmosphere they create very very eerie with the red lighting and that's something we haven't seen on the Falcon and before the Falcon before the emergency lights red alert yeah <laughs> yeah look they're now they're going now they're now all oh, the that's lights right out of, that's right out of episode one yeah right yeah Jar, where's Jar Jar freaking out it's <laughs> 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 always a bigger fish always a bigger fish. You know, they turn the lights on, and it's right there. This is a giant octopus, right? Well, is that basically, uh, what this is. Uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's something like that. The mom monster. I I don't know if it's in the visual guide here. If you get a a, a better look at what that creature is, they show some pre visual. Previsual, I can't even speak. Previsla, just some previs. Let's just say uh-huh. previs. Uh huh. I still can't see it. Um, but they show that uh, in the uh, making of, uh, in the, the bonus stuff. There's a whole thing about the maw in there, and they show you some previs that really gives you a, a, a greater look at what that thing actually Oh, it's kind of jellyfish-like. Kind of, yeah. yeah kind of, And no. you see all the eyes there. That's a good look at it right there. This is, of course, where we get the forked look of the falcon. He drops whatever that, what is that, the escape pod? Yeah, well, they, he mentions that at the beginning. Uh, it I was think a modification he, he did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He added a, an escape pod to the. It's like his safe room. Yeah. They call it the auxiliary ship. Mm. <laughs> now, when I saw this, the when I saw this the first time and. Beckett goes off to do this. I thought, oh, this is it. He's going to sabotage. Oh, oh, I see. You thought he's going to get. No, I thought he was smoked here. Okay. See, I still, I wasn't sure about Beckett. I think I might have thought he was going to do something underhanded here. Mm. I sometimes, you know, when I'm watching movies like this, I mean, you have this coaxium business. And how it all works and what they're... I mean, it's the whole... You know, it's. I guess it's the MacGuffin of the movie. Right. Um, I, I never... I, I have to admit, I, and I feel like kind of a dummy admitting it, but I, I, I never understand all that stuff until I see movies like two or three times. Cause I, I use, <laughs> oh, no, I'm with I, you. I usually just kind of let it, you know, wash over me, and I'm just... I'm, I, I'm more interested in other things, I guess, but... Yes. Um, some of this stuff I tend to ignore, but, you know, then you go back and you think, oh, okay, okay now I get it. It's actually kind of... It's kind of clever the way they put all this together. Yeah, but um, I mean, so for but for as an explanation for the Kessel Run, um, you guys were saying this it, it, that left you a little a little. Uh, I thought it was going to be a race. I thought it was going to be like the pod race, and that you know that was one of the ways that. Uh, Han was going to make his reputation was, you know, you know, knowing the way George is such a big fan of 
uh, racing that that's what the Kessel Run was was a big mm-hmm. race, and there were competitors. Um, I didn't realize it was a uh, you know some sort of mark of great navigation or yeah. computation or whatever. I thought it was just all about speed. <laughs> I'll never forget my dad watching that. Uh, watching A New Hope with my dad. That was one of those lines that he got a big kick out of. He's like, that castle running parsecs. What the hell are they talking about? He's like, <laughs> he's like Harrison Ford doesn't know what he's talking about, does he, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> I actually tried to explain it to him, which was a mistake. Because he's like, just you know, put it back on, would you? I don't care. And so <laughs> I told you, Bill hits the pause button. When yeah, he has to I think I, I think that was a pause. And then and then um, the Kessel Run though was was portrayed in other things. So I seem to remember a comic that it was like the Kessels were creatures. It was like they gathered. It was about mm. how many creatures they can gather or something. Do you remember anything Oh, like I that? don't remember that one. I, I should remember Maybe I'm not like remembering that. that correctly. I do know the Expanded Universe and the uh, Jedi Academy books by Kevin J. Anderson. They they portrayed the uh, the Kessel system is, is being surrounded by a bunch of space anomalies and black holes. And there was all sort of weird gravitational pull. And there was a maw. And you could navigate your way into the Maw, and that's actually in within the Maw itself was where the Empire was creating their prototype Death Star. So they built the the uh, the structure of the Death Star, uh, like the uh, skeletal structure of it, inside the Maw. I see. And that prototype continued to exist even years after the Empire was defeated. This is according to the expanded universe. And so uh, to navigate your way to the planet Kessel, though, you had to find your way uh, through these clusters of black holes and other weirdness in space. And so that so way, it's kind is, of is similar. It it's kind does, of similar. Does, does Glover look like he's does he kind of have a uh, Theo Huxtable vibe when he's wearing that Gordon Gartrail shirt? In the Cosby Show, you remember that episode of the Cosby Show when he wanted that designer shirt? Okay, I can't. Say, I, can't say, I cannot help you. I didn't watch this. I cannot help you with the oh, Cosby on. Show. Somebody references. out there, somebody out there is listening to this and howling right now. <laughs> Cosby Show references can't help you there, pal. Oh man, yeah. So you will get paid. You buy that shit. No, it's not what I'm asking. So she slams the door shut. Slams the door shut on him again. Uh Uh-huh. Not with him, but uh, he owns me. She says, I mean, I owe him. I owe him. Yeah. But see, they're making it seem like he's some sort of generous benefactor, you know? (laughs) Yes, right. That he was like her her sponsor. Yeah, they, they, Yeah. they don't even really get into the whole thing about her being a piece of property to him. It almost seems like she's risen up in the ranks of the criminal organization. And well, th- does she say he owns me? Is that is that what? She no, says? It's, no, no. I'm, I'm hung oh. up on that because of the novelization. Well, she says in the in the in the movie here, I owe him. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So 
he helped me. Yeah. So she does seem there. Yeah. I mean, she does seem to be devoted to him, even though she obviously knows he's he's crazy. Stockholm Dangerous. syndrome. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah that's that's that. the thing we don't really know about her. Oh God! You know, I I I wish they would do a sequel to this. I just I, I'm kind of bummed that. Well, they might. So much in the air. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. I mean, if this it's thing not... this thing could catch a whole life of its own with home video. Yeah, let's hope because I think it was really shortchanged in a big way. Yeah. 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 It, so many way. factors contributed to a disappointing box office for it. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, you know, you want to lay that at the feet of fandom for not going out to support the film. Well, you know, you shot the film twice. So, listen, all of that doesn't matter to Disney's bottom line. They're not losing any money. You think Disney's losing money for what? Because they had to pay the special effects guys that work in their company. They had to pay them extra. No, come on. They ain't losing any money. I I don't know about that. I think they... I think they got hit in the grinocopia. Is this the Emphis Nest theme that with the choral singers? Because you do hear that earlier. I wonder if that's specifically Does she have the a theme? theme. Well, I don't know if that's specifically supposed to the be track, the track. The track on the soundtrack is actually Saverine's Standoff. Ah. Mm. That's what that's called. But during the train heist, I think you hear some of that, uh, that choral. It's a motive, you know. It's it's there. There they go. <laughs> Lando, Lando out. Now, uh, in the novel, when Lando's on his flight here, he is actually uh, he has a little moment where he communicates to like you know with the final vestiges of L three that exist within the Millennium ah. Falcon core. But then her essence, her personality and all that eventually gets completely absorbed by the Falcon computer. And she just becomes part of the whole. She gives herself over. Yeah. So any idea that like... Oh, it's Maya Rudolph from Saturday Night Live. She does look a little like a a young Maya Rudolph. But, um, you know, any idea that like in the future Han could start communicating with L3 via the Falcon's computer or what have you, or anyone else could, I, I think that's that's off the table now. Yeah. Right, yes. They, well, they needed to do that, because otherwise it'd be, well, why isn't the Falcon this, you know, sassy, wise-cracking, you know, droid rights advocate? <laughs> sassy, wise-cracking Millennium Falcon. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, the old. What you talking about, Chewbacca? <laughs> the old Mister Microphone commercials. Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. The Falcon just cruises off. <laughs> it's like speed buggy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, see the now. I was so confused by this. I didn't real. Yes, this, Bill, I remember what this you is did one of here. these. Well, it yep. looks like the Death Star. It sure does. And it doesn't look like 
the crimson dawn symbols that we've been seeing. And I don't, did they even say it was a crimson dawn symbol until later? So I didn't even know. I thought like she's talking, I'm like, oh my God. So they're this, all this funding, all this funding must be going towards the Death Star construction. Uh, But there is no Death Star. Well, that's it. Yeah. In this Hence point my of the confusion. Timeline, you know, this, <laughs> like what? Well, that's no way. That's not true. That's not true. There is a Death Star at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. The thing is under construction. You can say right? it's under construction. Yeah. But it wouldn't be out terrorizing the it hasn't galaxy. Hasn't revealed no. itself. Well, it, where, no. where does this square with? It's the not functional. Of Rogue it's not one. functional till Rogue One, and this this film I, I believe takes place like ten years prior. Okay. Ten years, I want to say. Prior to what's, what's A New the, Hope. You know, I saw these Ten pillars. years prior. Is it to, that well, Yeah, to A New Hope, yeah. yeah. But not Rogue yeah. One. Did you notice all these... Rogue One happens well, right before A New Hope. Well, right, you're right, you're right. All these pillars have these hooks on them. Have you noticed that? They have hooks. Yeah, at the top. There's like these little eye hooks at the top of each of these. See? Oh, yeah. What is That's that? probably from when the crane dropped off the props on the set. <laughs> They're like, oh, we forgot to paint those That's out. It's got to be intentional, right? Don't worry. No one's going to notice. Little eye hooks. <laughs> That's a... I'd probably have to see the movie a hundred times before I ever zeroed in on those little eye hooks. Yeah. It's from the crane dropping oh, off dude, the... I, yeah, I saw that thing. right away, man. I, <laughs> those My eyes hook, pick up those hooks. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, if if those dice from the Millennium Falcon could be featured so much in the last two Star Wars films, these little weird spikes with the eye hooks probably get their own spin-off film. Now, what if Han would have said, yeah, I'll come with you here at this point? Yeah, you're right. Let's leave. Let's let's leave this place. I think uh, Beckett would have had to take him out. Because this is all a ruse. Is Beckett getting clear so he can... Come back. Right. Yeah. And Han takes the whole thing on face value, too, about the gangster on Tatooine. You know, why would Beckett tell him the truth about anything if if he's BSing him the whole way through? Here, he tells him, find me on Tatooine. I think that that's how really good liars operate. I think there's always an element of truth truth to it. I got some debts to pay before I can head back to Gleon Psalm and get into the Valley Court. Yeah. So obviously we're talking about Job of the Hut here. Which I, I love the build up to it, but like Bill was just saying, it just makes me crazy that there's no no payoff to some of this stuff. Well not yet. Well not yet. Doesn't seem likely, but huh? This is when we thought they were on their honeymoon and Chewie was carrying the luggage. <laughs> yeah. When we saw the trailer. There's the Hilton back there in the background. <laughs> check into the bridal suite. I think Matt Wood also voices Tote. this guy, Tote, from... Hmm. Is that a Raiders yeah, that's homage? A, obviously. Obviously. Remember, no. Lawrence Kasdan wrote Raiders. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Now where is uh, where's Han's gun at this point? He just checked it in. Oh, he no no he shows that he doesn't have it's it. It's in oh, the case. He has it. He has it hidden. Oh, that's it's right. In the yes. coaxium. That's right. Yeah. Yep, that's right. 
Yeah. She's very amused by him, but realizes that he doesn't he doesn't know. He doesn't know what she's been through. He doesn't know what what she knows, certainly. And I don't think she's gonna let him get in the way. I think she would take both these guys out if she had to. Who would say Kira's not ready? Darth Maul? <laughs> I mean, who else is, you know, he confiding in? Yeah, right, right. And Darth Maul clearly is aware of who Kira is. The novel, well, yeah. it, the, the novel says that she's not aware of who he is, right. though. Well, she knows that he's the leader of the Crimson Dawn. She's never, she's only seen him once before, cloak mm. uh, with a hood up. Ah, okay. She's never seen his face until she eventually makes contact with him. Right. And she knows that this is someone that, that Dryden has to answer to, as awful as he is. Mm. That's where he gets all creepy. And I. Oh, the scars are kind of lessening there. Oh, I guess when he gets all romantic, we go down. This guy would, I would love to play poker against this guy. It'd be such an easy read. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's written all over your face. Literally. You're bluffing. I can totally tell you those little lines on your face get all red (laughs) every time. Well, that. New Black Series figure. You know, you can color changing. Oh, it looks like that was cut out perfectly for his blaster. Custom job. <laughs> Custom yeah. job. They do that. Savarine, they have a laser cutter. <laughs> Coaxium refinery, laser cutter. Kinko's 24 hours. <laughs> Very explosive stuff. I never asked for anything twice. Hmm. Kira knows. He never asked for anything twice. This guy's very corporate. Dealt with this guy a few <laughs> times in my career. I never asked for anything twice. Shut up. Don't you just worked up. for him a few times, huh? He likes his jewelry. No, what, the, oh, oh, he's got the creepy fingernail. Look at the thumbnail there. Oh, yeah. Did you notice that? Got that sharpened thumbnail. Maybe he plays a guitar. A guitar picker. It's banjo yeah. picker. Yeah. <laughs> See Dryden Voss picking the banjo. <laughs> Gets that head in the jar. Puts that next to him. Gets the banjo. Some good good times there with Dryden. I do like Paul Bettany a lot in this role. A real lot. Yeah, he's great. But he's how great. great would Christopher Walken have been? I mean, <laughs> oh, he would have provided some wackiness, Star Wars wackiness, but it, it might have been a little too... Too much uh, too much, Christopher. Yeah. yeah, Christopher Walken is just so Christopher Walken. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, the association is funny because there is kind of a Tarantino-esque uh, tension in this scene, you know, where people are joking and then they're, you know, they just seem on the verge of exploding violently. You're not even sure what's going <laughs> yes. on. You know, none of them trust each other. The tube is looking rough on Woody right there, though, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. 
That is sub comb over. Just keeping an eye on that gun just to make sure that Han ends up with it. This uh, refinery is probably like the most unexotic Star Wars location we've ever seen. It just, Mm. it looks like really something out of Road Warrior, you know, post-apocalyptic, nomadic. Yeah. Like they just set it up, you know. It's like, where's the feral kid? With the boomerang. Remember the feral kid? (laughs) Boomerang. Of course. I still, you know, if she was sold as a slave to Dryden, how did she get so involved in the crime syndicate part of all of this to where she just has completely abandoned the person she was on Corellia? I mean, what what is the time difference? How long was Han in the Imperial in the Imperial Navy. Couldn't have been too long before uh, he got... They, well, they, well, we know at, at least three, three years, years, right? Yeah. Okay, three years. Because they give us that... They're separated for three years. Okay, a lot can happen in three years. I get that. Yeah. But it seems like she is rising the ranks within this crime organization as opposed to just being like a tool or... Right. I mean, she does seem valued for, you know, capable her skills that she provides, the work that she does, you know. Ooh, Greedo. So you it's know, more and like somehow a, they, What, Jason? Orange. I was going to say, somehow they robbed Greedo of his color here. Orange Greedo. Orange Greedo. Yeah. He's orange now. But it's a little fleshy orange. It's... it's <laughs> well, he's not exotic I orange. Think it's, I think it's a good orange. It's kind of like star... It, it's he like could star, use, starfish... Uh, orange it's kind of it's bright though right they don't have to make everything different it's greedo you know it's a rhodian just make him green <laughs> i i like the orange greedo i'm sorry i like him i think it's a i think it's a cop out i don't I, think it's that's a how they are in in southern uh greedo land. yeah <laughs> in southern greedo <laughs> rhodia rhodia southern yeah. hemisphere rhodia we just call them all greedo they're greedos Greedos. Speaking of Greedos, uh, Woody's just betraying everybody here. Well, he's Betray- a businessman, uh, you know. Yeah, he's, right. He's he's going after the best deal here, and uh, yep. It's smart. I, I I just like the the way this whole sequence breaks down because you're separating Han and Chewie, mm. and so now you know. Hans without his protective net. Yep. Hmm. Han now is as good a time as any <laughs> to reevaluate our relationship. You know, that probably would have added another 20 minutes onto this film if Christopher Walken had played Triton Foss. Just get to it, man. <laughs> these these blades have a little bit of a little bit of a lightsaber kind of vibe to them. You know, it leaves that trail when he's swinging them. 
like a lightsaber does. Very James Bond sequence, you know. Oh, sure. Hiding behind the furniture and ducking from the uh, constant assault. He jumps up with the gun. She cuts him off. Hmm. So, yeah, it's hard to kind of keep it all together now. It's it's like, why? Why doesn't she... Why doesn't she just, you know, kill him and run away with Han? I mean, that's where it's all going. Because you're thinking like Han is. You don't know the whole story. But she's obviously more committed to the cause of Crimson Dawn than she is in reliving her past... With her slavery boyfriend. Yeah. She turns. She turns on him. Oh, stabs him with his own thing. Oh, yeah. I love that. Right in the heart. And Han's like, I'm ready to go now. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, then. Well, now the scars go away. Oh, he's not feeling anything. It's like a mood ring. Yeah. Uh. I guess I don't need this blaster anymore. I was disappointed that Han didn't kill Dryden Vaz. But I realize it's so much more satisfying having Kira do it when you start to dig deeper into the story. Well, and and he does, he's got a pretty major kill coming up. Yeah, right. right. How much blood are you going to put on his hands? Good point. Good point. To where he's still one of the good guys. The good guy. She's telegraphing this. Go to Chewbacca. He needs you, and you're going to need him. And yeah, it's like, come on. Yeah. Now I had complained about the whole idea, the concept of uh, Chewbacca serving a life debt to Han, that that had been thrown out the window, and and received some feedback about it. And a lot of people brought up the point that uh, this film does really you know, put it out there that these people are all fighting fighting slavery in a life of oppression. And to have Chewbacca pledge this life debt to Han would just be placing Chewbacca in another level of servitude, of slavery. But I've always felt that the Wookiee life debt was more of a sacred thing that rarely gets to it's like a sacrament that actually rarely ever comes into play and when it does it's a very special thing you know it's a a wookie bonding with someone outside of the wookie family or tribes yeah, however you want to choice do it. yeah and right? it's <laughs> yeah it's 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 purely by choice and it's and it is to you know to work together with someone to 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 you know I don't want to get into it too much now with Darth Maul popping up on the screen. I'm sure we have things to say. But I I was looking at it. It wasn't like I was never looked at the Wookiee life debt as a a slavery sort of thing. I looked at it as more of a sacred Wookiee ritualistic sacramental thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like a vow. I mean, you know, if you take a vow. I mean, you know, obviously Han and Chewie don't have this type of vow. But if they're married, you know, is that is that slavery? I guess. I I don't know. I guess some people would. (laughs) <laughs> to say so, but I don't know. The way I think uh-huh. about it is that that's your choice. Okay, so this uh, this takes me back to Ohio, Jim. 
was it's too much. It's shocked. still kind of too much to handle. I don't think I'm ever going to forget sitting next to you in this. It's just what is going on with this what? mall? What happened? Mall's here now. <laughs> it's mall. It is mall. He's light. He's he's fired up the lightsaber and everything. That's Ray Park. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still uh, am trying to figure this out. Um, hey, he really brandishes that lightsaber there, doesn't he? I mean, you know, it was just the timing with Star Wars Rebels just killing off Darth Maul, and then to bring him back now again. And I know it's you know different placement on the timeline and everything. I don't need to be explained that. It's just. You know, trying to come to terms with all that as it's popping up unexpectedly on you like that. Um, what it does, at least for me, it opens up the possibility of potentially a Vader versus Maul duel somewhere down the line because they're oh, yeah. both active in this part of the timeline. Um, we didn't know that Darth Maul was continuing on with the with the uh, crime syndicates like like he is, you know, when he was trying to put the Shadow Collective together and he had taken over the planet Mandalore, uh, he eventually came into custody uh, by the Empire and, and Palpatine, Sidious. I still feel that it was a, it was like their version of the Marvel, you know, what do they call them, the scene that comes after the credits, Oh yeah, right, I, yeah. I really You're think right. they You're wanted right to plant right. the seed for like this. This is the platform for the next spinoff. You know, Kenobi I, to me makes the most sense. Yeah, we got Han shooting first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, you know, that is one way to look at that. This is sort of I don't want to say redemption or setting the record straight, but he clearly shoots first for good reason. Uh, and he had good reason to shoot Greedo first, too. Greedo was playing well, a blaster yeah. at him. I, I mean, you know. The, the... Over my dead body, bang. That's the way it went. It was just an era where the digital technology was coming into the forefront, and some of these film creators were making, they were tooling around with their old films in a silly way, and George was leading that. I mean, even Spielberg did it with E.T. Yeah. yeah. They had cops walking around with walkie-talkies instead of firearms. And Yeah, there's some touch-ups in American Graffiti. And THX was revisited. Pals, me, you, pals. <laughs> <laughs> I love the design of that ship of bosses, that yacht. I, I really so like cool. that. That is very cool. Yeah, has good Star Wars feel to it, and yet it's something we've never seen before. Right. I love it. Oh, here we are back at uh, the Road Warrior camp. <laughs> Where's Mad Max? They're all wondering of. Is he there she is. Bring back the fuel. She said it wasn't Maya Rudolph. There's Warwick <laughs> along with uh, two tubes. Mad Maxine, and then that's her little kid then. So she's older than 16, then. 
right? Well, maybe. Well, she could. That little kid could just be part of the tribe. Not oh yeah, right. Hers. Okay. Well, and she does mention earlier that she t- she inherited that suit from her mother. Right. Yes. Her mom. Well, that could wore be the a sister. After. You know, that could be a sister. Right. Could be a little sister. Holy crap. And there's a scene in the novelization where she meets Saw Gerrera and yes, young actually, Jin. yeah, they, they she passes off the coaxium to Saw and Jin. Ah, yeah, interesting. Which really would have been a very cool scene to add to the film, wouldn't it? Yeah, to have gotten. Uh, I mean, ta- talking about creating some linkage between these. That these would have films. been great. Yeah. Don't hold your breath, kid. I like how he calls her kid. Yep. Because there you get the, you know. Now he's the one passing on the knowledge because he's taken uh, taken Beckett out. So now he's the new Beckett in a sense. He's learned his lessons. Something I wanted to point out, we forgot. uh, We were just talking during that campfire scene uh, just prior to the train heist. It's Beckett who gives Chewbacca the nickname Chewie. Is it? Yeah, it's not Han. Han says, I have to call you something else, but, you know, it was back Right. I I, I think. I could be wrong, but I really wanted to pay attention to that this time. Here's uh, Lando. Hawaiian shirt or something. He's he's, he's, he's He's in the tropics. tropics. He's got Yeah, he's in Cuba. Tropical Lando. Well, maybe this is that that planet that uh, Kit Fisto is from. Maybe this is Glee. Oh, yeah. He's there to, yeah, drop off Beckett's body, maybe. That was it. That's a deleted scene. They take oh, really? Beckett's body to the incinerator. Oh, he just throws him in the incinerator? Oh, yeah. Wow. And Han goes, oh, that stinks. And Chewie goes, oh, you think that stinks? We should throw a Wookiee in there. <laughs> no, they, they, none of that happens. <laughs> I'm thinking about uh, in Quantum of Solace when Bond throws Mathis into the dumpster. Oh, right. Oh, well. That kind of thing. Yeah. You you don't get that cold-hearted with Star Wars. (laughs) Oh, look, you have a a Twi'lek sitting next to her. Or Twi'lek, Twi'lek, Twi'lek. I I didn't notice. Twi'lek, I say Twi'lek. I think I say Twi'lek normally, but I think I said Twi'lek for some reason. Every once in a while, I flash back to my old EU days where I was just reading this stuff and not talking about it. See, and this is another reason why I so much would love to see another movie with these guys because I don't want it thought of as like, this was the last time they saw each other until Han went to Cloud City. I just, that's very, it's just so unsatisfactory to me that these guys wouldn't have more of a relationship, other stories, other adventures together where they build up that camaraderie. Yeah. And leave on a note that makes a little bit more sense so that when they do see each other and uh, Lando does the, uh, why you slimy double-crossing, you know, it it, it, Mm -hmm. it just, it it doesn't seem to flow out of this scene exactly. It does. I think it does. Ah, do you? Yeah, because he took the, you know. Yeah. I mean, they do talk about winning the ship. I mean, that does seem to be, a fresh memory, I guess. Of I think their last works. encounter. I would like to think they have more of a history together. Of course, just, Lando yeah, brings more. up the Battle of Tanab, so <laughs> that yeah. must have been something that they they did together. It could have been something they experienced as members of the Rebel Alliance, but 
Well, I thought that happened. The dice gets the final shot. Those crazy dice. Oh my god! But, well, I thought the the battle of Tanab would have happened while Han was frozen, like in between Empire and Jedi, right? It could have, but he I, mentions it to Han, like uh, like Han had a familiarity right. with it. Well, I must have uh, heard about my little maneuver, maneuver with the battle of Tanab. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't do that, Bill. When you're here, right? <laughs> he was almost insinuating it could have been Han. Han might have been the guy who mentioned. Right, uh, you know, this guy at the Tanab, he was just out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> he made this maneuver that. Uh... Well, I made, oh, a, I know, made no. a maneuver, all right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Tanab was his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, all in all, really satisfying. Um, every time I see Alden, he's growing on me more and more yeah. as Han Solo. Uh, there were times, though, as I was listening to the audiobook of the novelization, when they m- mentioned Han, I was picturing Harrison. There were certain times, I, I do admit. Maybe it's just that because was- Mark Thompson did the narration, and he's done so many Star Wars novels. And uh, just hearing his voice mention Han, I, I, I've kind of conditioned myself to always think of Harrison Ford. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I think he owns it. Toby Hefferman, associate producer, Toby Hefferman, wasn't he on The Office? Wasn't he like the head of HR on The Office? <laughs> Toby Hefferman. Oh, Hefferman. Hefferman. Hefferman, yeah. Hefferman. Close. Okay. Very close. No relation. Well, this has been a blast, gentlemen. What a, what a great time. I think it's, it's fitting, given that we all saw this film for the first time together, to actually lay down the... The official Rebel Force Radio audio commentary to Solo uh, as this trio. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. I'm, re- I'm, with- I'm ready to hit the streets. Do some yeah, right. uh, man-on-the-street <laughs> interviews. <laughs> Let's see what happens. I don't know, man. I'm just looking for some booze. <laughs> well, well, he, Dark Vader. He he made out okay, but he didn't he didn't he didn't he didn't get there without some Star Wars talk. That was the price. <laughs> that was the price. That's the price you pay <laughs> when we're on the streets of Cleveland after midnight. Yep. Uh, well, great yeah, time. Well, yeah, it was just so much fun, and I just I'm I'm with you guys. I, I think every time I see it, it gets better. Um, not that I didn't like it at first, but it, it just uh, seems to fall into the, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the whole the whole canon of the Star Wars saga for me. Alden, Donald Glover, uh, even Woody Harrelson. And I was kind of incredulous about his casting at first, but mm-hmm. he really makes that character come alive. I, I don't think that uh, Dryden Voss is, you know, the most charismatic or memorable Star Wars villain, but... Paul Bettany does really well with what was given to him, the role that was given to him. And um, so, yeah, it, it, and I love Kira. Kira just adds to that um, selection of these 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 great uh, characters. And I buy her the whole time as being a part of this universe. And you get a lot of uh, fun, cool, new Star Wars designs like Han Speeder at the beginning of the film or that crazy uh, TIE fighter that was chasing the Falcon through the Maw. I, I, I just love seeing advancements of all the old classic designs presented in different ways. The Mud Troopers. Love the Mud Troopers. Mm. Uh, still got to figure out why that 
AT hauler has a shower on it, though. That's uh, totally unexplained. <laughs> totally unexplained. I, I would present that sort of, you know, radiation, emergency radiation thing, like uh, that movie Silkwood. That could that could be an explanation for it, but uh, I don't know how they get exposed to radiation when they're just hauling those walkers around. So, wow! But hey, that's Star Wars science. I can't comment. More to on come, it. More to for come. sure. <laughs> All right, we still have to do the Rogue One commentary track. Boy, we haven't done that. Have we, we haven't done oh, that. Okay. We haven't done All a right. commentary track for the Star Wars holiday special. Oh. Is that in the wow. is that in the works? Well, we do have an anniversary coming up in a couple of months. Oh man, there's got to be some dead spots on that. <laughs> I hate to tell you, I don't know what you're going to do during well, those we'll musical just, numbers. We'll I mean, just, there's yeah. only there's only so much you could say about Diane Carroll. <laughs> well, maybe we can um, pass around some beverages then at there that you time. Go. And yeah, see where the commentary leads us. We'll because- have to have something planned for those for those stretches you know the holographic circus oh my gosh compelling stuff yeah i want in (laughs) (laughs) you got it you got it anytime Well, perhaps the most unappreciated and underrated Star Wars movie so far, I think, if you're going to judge by the box office. But Jim, as you mentioned, this thing could take a life of its own now that it's getting into uh, more hands. I I can't remember if Netflix is going to end up with this one or if this is the first one that won't end up on Netflix. But hopefully it'll get uh, the kind of distribution that... We'll get more eyeballs on it and people that, you know, couldn't make it out to the theater or wouldn't make it out to the theater will give it a shot. Guys like the one you were talking to today, Bill, that'll find it just too convenient and just too tempting to finally watch it. And then maybe there'll be this this groundswell. You know, if these old TV shows can get new life. Joe, I think you mentioned The Family Guy. How many times was that canceled? Right. And it just kept coming back. Maybe we'll see... This solo mini franchise come back. Yeah, I would. I would love to. And plus, what's great about this movie is it's. I think really easy for someone who's not a hardcore Star Wars fan to latch onto. It clearly has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It doesn't bog you down with existing mythology or previous chapters. You really can kind of just fall right into it and enjoy it for what it is. So it might be a movie that actually brings more Star Wars fans into the fold as they discover it via home video. I hope so. I do, too. I would love to see a sequel. I'd love to see Alden come back and play Han again. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be in the cards for a Star Wars film. But it could happen on TV or on one of these streaming series. You never know. Yeah. All right. Well, 
as Jim mentioned earlier, we uh, we will come back and get Rogue One under our belts so we can say that we've at least hit all of the uh, theatrical release films. We might, you know what? A, a review of the uh, the Clone Wars movie might be fun. Who knows? We haven't do- we haven't done an, a commentary. We've certainly talked about it, but no commentary has been done for it. And we've got, of course, the 10th anniversary of the Clone Wars and the revival of the TV series coming up on Disney's streaming service. Maybe we'll just do nothing but commentary tracks for the rest of the year. <laughs> Let's do it's it. It's just nothing Let's but commentary it. from now on. Easy show prep. As long as Puppet right. Lando is here to join us. Yeah, Honestly. speaking of which, Bill, thanks for uh, hanging with us tonight. Appreciate it. It's a late night for all of us. Yeah, totally, man. Thanks for uh, including me. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have you back. Uh, this show couldn't be made possible without the support of all of you, especially our Patreon subscribers. So please consider becoming a Patreon supporter of Rebel Force Radio. Go to patreon.com slash rebelforceradio and get all kinds of bonus content. And just feel better knowing that you're supporting our efforts here at Rebel Force Radio. That's going to do it for us. That is our commentary of Solo, a Star Wars story. More commentaries to come and, of course, future episodes of Rebel Force Radio right here. Until then, we'll see you next time for Rebel Force Radio. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And I'm Billy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.